Hello, uh, everybody. This is Thomas of Double Edge Double Bill. Well, I guess the former Double Edge Double Bill, given this is the first bonus episode I'm putting out um, in the wake of the ending of Double Edge Double Bill and before I start my new show, which I'll just uh, do a brief plug here uh, for the Patreon, patreon.com slash DEDBpod. As of yet, still, that URL might change in the near future um, as I start putting things together. But um, I'm going to be putting out a uh, new On the Edge of Relevance in the coming weeks, uh, or, you know, whatever On the Edge of Relevance, we'll still call it that for the time being, uh, which if you don't know, on the Patreon, Adam and I used to do um, the On the Edge of Relevances where we talked about new releases, or the last one we did was regarding the Galaxy Volume 3, but uh, I'll be talking, not with Adam, but my new co-host uh, for the upcoming uh, as-of-yet-untitled show um, that I'm in the planning stages on still with them. Um, but um, you'll be introduced to the new co-host on uh, the sort of on the edge of relevance that we'll be doing together for uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That'll be the first recording we do together. Kind of it's like a test recording uh, for them, but, you know, also just as like, you know, a fun thing. Where we'll also, I guess, be doing a few more announcements about the new show over on patreon.com slash dedbpod. Or for just the one dollar, you'll be able to hear that and the whole backlog of stuff I did with Adam and various other people who participated. You know, speaking of the Patreon, uh, what you'll be listening to today is kind of a dual bonus episode, as it were. I'm putting out uh, this whole audio thing is made up of two different bonus podcasts we did for the Patreon that are thematically tied, um, where the first thing you'll be hearing is uh, one of our media discussions that uh, Adam, myself, and our guest, Rafe Tell, she's been on the main show plenty of times, has, you know, his shows like Have Not Seen This, which is currently on a hiatus still, and uh, also uh, Never Say Die, uh, which is the role-playing one that he does. But basically, uh, he came on to uh, talk with us about the Matrix trilogy, which this was in December of 2021. This was the uh, bonus uh, podcast, big one that we did in that month. Um, and it's, so this is a media discussion about the original three Matrix films, The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, and The Matrix Revolutions. And then after that, um, there'll be another bonus thing, uh, that we put out, which was an On the Edge of Relevance, where uh, Adam, myself, and Rafe returned uh, to talk about The Matrix Resurrections. This is our initial thoughts recorded within days of seeing that film. So first you'll hear that media discussion, then you'll hear that On the Edge of Relevance right afterward. Uh, so yeah, have fun with that. And if you would like to listen to that bonus stuff and more bonus stuff to come in the wake of a new show coming out, just like I said, subscribe at uh, patreon.com slash dedbpod. And now, on with The Matrix. In May. Matrix, if you will. Get it? It works better on paper. Hello? Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? I, I think you have the wrong number, sir. I've been looking for you, Neo. I don't know if you're ready to see what I want to show you, but unfortunately, you and I have run out of time. They're coming for you, Neo, and I don't know... Whatever you're selling, I don't want any! This isn't over. I know. I could see it in your face. Just like you knew the moment you looked at me. I was coming with you. We're in. You've never believed in the one. 
I still don't. I believe in him. Mr. Anderson, welcome back. We missed you. I believe it is our fate to be here. But I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. Hello, Edgelords. Welcome to this month's bonus podcast media discussion. Um, obviously, Adam and I are here, uh, but I think for the first time on a media discussion, we have a guest with us, Adam. Can you believe that? We, someone else has entered the Matrix. Yeah, we do. And believe me, I fucking fought it the entire time. <laughs> Tooth and nail, he fought, Tooth yes. And nail. Uh, but uh, one of our own patrons, one of you out there, the Edgelords, the, the one is here. Uh, to uh, join us in a discussion of the Matrix trilogy just in time for the Matrix Resurrections. We have Rafe Telsch of Have Not Seen This. Rafe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Or am I glad to be here? Is this this is this reality? Is this the Matrix? I'm not sure. Is it a simulation? Who knows? Yes, yes. Uh, but you're here to talk about the Matrix trilogy because um, I knew way back, even when you were doing your older show, that kind of helped inspire me to start podcasting with stuff, that uh, you're a big fan of The Matrix to the point where you wrote, like, a college thesis, correct? Yes, I did my my senior undergraduate thesis uh, extending the philosophical ideas introduced in The Matrix to justify the sequels as not just uh, money-grubbing, studio-driven, but as actual philosophical extensions of the ideas that were introduced in the first movie. Yeah, um, it it, it was fascinating, um, especially now that we're we're getting Matrix Resurrections, and it's so weird. Like, I still remember when that was announced, and how baffling that was. Just like, wait, at least (laughs) one of the Wachowskis are coming back to do a new Matrix movie? Because this just seemed like such a dormant franchise for so long. Really, There'd been like a couple Mm -hmm. video games and stuff since the last Matrix movie, but it seemed pretty much like it was dead until... A couple of years ago, just like, yep, we're doing a new one. At least one of them is, which is fascinating, but only one. I believe it's Alana. I get confused mm-hmm. all the time. It's Alana's the one who's directing this new one. Yeah, I uh, I never really thought we'd actually see it. I thought there was just going to be a lot of talk and then it would die. So I'm really surprised to see it. And up until a couple of months ago, I wasn't even excited about it. But the more they've been promoting it, and I love the fact that kind of like the original Matrix, they're promoting it without really telling us anything about it, which I love. Uh, but the more they're promoting it, the more I'm like, yeah, cool. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, though, uh, where did your love for The Matrix start then, Rafe? Um, well, I mean, you know, cerebral sci-fi has always been a, a, a fun thing for me. And I just I the, the philosophical ideas of the original Matrix movie just really are something that I honed in on. Um, and I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't think the sequels live up to the first one as as much as I would like. I, I still love them. But uh, I mean, the, the, the first movie, it was an enigma. We didn't know what it was about. And then it comes out and it is this just absolute kick ass sci fi with brand new technologies as far as like special effects and stuff. I mean, it's, it's a groundbreaking film. And on top of that, you have this philosophical level. Uh, that overcomes Keanu Reeves' wooden acting. I mean, I just, I, I fell in love with it. I mean, I remember it was so groundbreaking that when it came out on DVD, the first DVD player I bought wouldn't play that disc. I had to exchange my DVD player for a better DVD player in order to play The Matrix. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it was obviously very groundbreaking when it came out. And like you said, kind of shocked everybody when it came out in March of 1999. Um, but Adam, what about you? Was What was your first exposure to The Matrix? Did you see it in the theater and everything get caught up in the initial hype of it? Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I, I saw the first one in the theater, and I walked out of it going, well, this is the new sci-fi perfection. To me, it's on the level of A New Hope or Blade Runner or any of those sort of benchmarks in sci-fi. Uh, to me, the, the first Matrix fits right along in there. It was something completely new that we really haven't seen before, at least done in the way it was done with the mix of even the sort of wire-foo, kung-fu stuff, slow motion effects, the camera tricks on the tracks going in a circle and slowing everything down. It was one of those where when you see it in the theater, you're like, oh, I'm witnessing sort of the start of a new era of filmmaking. It was absolutely mind-blowing to me. Interestingly, um, I am a bit younger, and I didn't see The Matrix until about 2009. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, no, you're definitely younger. I got like 10 years on you. Rafe's got like 45, 46. <laughs> right. Oh, we're going there again. <laughs> well, well it, it was interesting because like, when The Matrix came out, it was such a cultural phenomenon that it was like everywhere. I was still so aware because Lord knows how many comedy movies that came out between 2000 and 2002 had a bullet time joke in it to the point yeah. where it kind of turned me off of it. Honestly, it was just like, yeah, I get it. It's the, the, whatever. I, I just kind of stayed away from it for so long and I waited until like so much of it had died post the sequels. And I still, despite that, the moment I first saw it around that time was like, Oh my God, no, this is great. Like despite this being at that point, 10 years old, it's still such a great, well-constructed, well-put-together movie about all this stuff. And the sequels, I wasn't as huge on at the time, and I've grown to respect them a lot more as I've rewatched them. But I will say that uh, they, they still, I agree, do kind of pale a bit more in comparison, as we'll kind of talk about over the course of this discussion. I'd say, I mean, Adam, you didn't talk about the sequels that much, but I think you at least agree with the part about you didn't like them and you still don't like them at all. <laughs> don't respect them that much. <laughs> no, I fucking hate them. Uh, so this will be definitely interesting. Uh, I'm very curious at how this is going to go. I, I always fell on the the thing with the sequels where the idea was, and I think it was even released, that supposedly all three were written at the same time. And I don't believe that at all. I, I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I think the first one was like just such a phenomenon. And certain things from the first movie, i.e. especially the Agent Smith, Hugo Weaving character, was such a big hit that... They're like, oh, we got to bring him back. We got to do more with him. Um, I, it just, it, nah, no, no. <laughs> well, well, hopefully you'll have more at least to say as we go along this trek. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's funny, well, real, real quick. It's funny though. You talk about how sort of the Matrix influenced other movies and stuff, but and you did bring up they had a video game, which was a terrible video game, by the way. It, it was not good. Uh, but also. Look at like Max Payne, the video game and everything like all of that, even modern video games, the shooting mechanics and the idea of the slow-mo and all that all came from the Matrix. So, I mean, its influence has permeated so much in popular culture. It's kind of crazy when you really think about it. Or even just like the action choreography, like the use of sort of like Kung Fu influence stuff became so much more prevalent post-Matrix. Like there was that weird kind of dawn of the new millennium, like, oh, we're going to like actually release a bunch of Kung Fu movies over here. Like Jackie Chan even became more of a star, 
even more so than he was in America previously and all that. So there's a lot of influence there, but we'll be talking about the movies more specifically here. We'll be going in order where we'll talk about the first Matrix and then Matrix Reloaded and then Matrix Revolutions right after that. I do at least want to say one thing up at the top that um, there is a lot with this series, particularly given the creators, the Wachowskis, uh, Lily and Lana, um, have transitioned since these movies came out. Um, there is a lot of interesting trans allegory that you can kind of come out of that these movies about. And admittingly, we're not the three best voices. We're both, well, all three of us are cisgender men. So I do just want to mention that I'll probably have some links to from some trans writers who've done a lot of great work, like Emily Vanderwerf and Selena Lopez, about sort of like the Matrix as a trans allegory. Um, though I think we can all at least agree, like, that's inherently there, if you're kind of look back at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially in the first movie. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But... Let's go ahead and start off with then that first movie, The Matrix, which came out March 31st, 1999 from Lillian Lana Boschowski. And uh, as you mentioned, just sort of like really broke open so many doors. But let's just focus, I guess, more on the film itself. Right from the start, this movie is just like perfect. Like the whole start with Trinity is like some of the best like visual storytelling I've ever seen in a movie. Just the way that like the cops are kind of backlit and Trinity is like going around with like trying to research and like the shots of her with like her hands behind her back and then her being able to move and all this stuff it is such immediately an engaging opening that has you asking so many questions but you're instantaneously like i need to find out the answers immediately i need to know so i'm really hooked into this yeah it's a movie that definitely the wakowski's knew what they wanted to make from frame one i mean it, it does not take any time finding its identity it is there uh, welcoming you to join it, but it is, I mean, and that's one of the things I love about that opening scene is once you've seen the movie, you totally understand what's going on in that scene. But the very first time you see it, you have no clue, but you wanna. <laughs> Obviously I've talked about dark city on Rafe show before, and I'm a huge fan of dark city. So kind of going into this, even in the opening, the coloring, the filters that are used, even the sets, obviously we all know now that there are a lot of reused sets and things like that, but it almost, it almost did feel like old hat going into it. But the second, the jump kick thing happens where it freezes and it spins around her, you're in a whole other world. You're like, what the fuck is happening? Like, how is it? What is going on here? Basically, the whole movie doesn't relent off that idea of you are literally following the rabbit. You are going down the rabbit hole with the story the entire movie. And it is so incredibly effective. And what just a perfect way to start off this movie to where you're asking questions right off the beginning. And you basically don't stop asking questions the whole movie. Yeah, I think what's so interesting also is the fact that I've heard some people complain about it being like, oh, it's the Matrix isn't that deep of a concept. But I think what's so fascinating is like, I agree that it's not necessarily that deep of a concept. But what I like is that they're able to explore it so well here. It's like, it doesn't have to be like extremely deep about like, oh, there's like a simulation world, basically. That's been theory that's gone on for like ages. The idea of like, oh, this is a simulation. Like our reality isn't what it actually is perceived to be. But they do such a great job of, like, firmly establishing the world and the stakes of it and all this other stuff that, like, you are instantaneously, like, I know exactly what's going on. I know what these characters are feeling and how I'm supposed to be engaged in it. And it doesn't need to be that much more complex. If anything, 
that's probably where the sequels I kind of think start having issue is that they're delving into much deeper philosophical concepts and kind of losing character stuff that I think is very present with the moment you see Neo just as like a sad sack who's just like, Ugh, I hate my job and I hate my <laughs> double existence. I go to raves to feel something. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I definitely wanted to tackle as well because I've heard that argument before where, you know, oh, the Matrix, they, they're they not as deep as they think they are. They're not as clever as they think they are. And, and my argument against that has always been uh, when the ultimate box set DVD set came out for the Matrix movies, uh, Cornell West and uh, Ken Wilber, uh, who are two of the prominent names in philosophy of our age, uh, did commentary tracks on the three movies to discuss the philosophical ideas in the movie. So it's like, you know, you don't just get those two people by, you know, calling them up. You got to interest them first. So there had to be enough depth there for them to want to discuss it. I, I feel like there's there's a fine line between people who take that philosophy too far uh, and those people who are just like, no, it's just not there. It's just they're just stupid movies. And it's like, yeah, no, it's, there's got to be something there. <laughs> well, I mean, I look at it like this and, and I said it and I think all three of us agree on it. And I think most of the movie going public would agree on it. At least you saw the first one. The constant time you're asking, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is this? You want to get more into it. You want to understand the sort of throw lines and the backstory and all that of everything that it is. And to say that, oh, there's nothing there. If the movie's making you ask questions, be it surface level or deep personal questions, then there's something there. There's something exactly. to go on. But you can look at it like if you just want to look at it like just a kung fu gun movie. Like there's that too. That's what's so good about the first Matrix movie. It's if you don't want to get deep into it, you're still going to get the enjoyment being an action movie fan or a martial arts fan or a sci-fi movie fan. There, there's so many. It's like an onion. There's so many layers to it. Like you can just keep going with the first one. And I, and I agree with Thomas. I think that might be one of the major problems I have with the second and the third one where they feel the need to over explain it all like way too much. There's way too much exposition and especially with the fucking, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> there's way too much exposition in the sequels. And there is in the first one And the first one. It's, it's not so deep to where, you take your own ideas out of it because it's pretty straightforward what's going on, but it's the journey to get to those answers, which makes the first one so fun. I, I particularly love that you just made a Shrek reference with it's like an onion when Shrek was one of those movies that did a huge bullet time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll reference Shrek anytime. Shrek, that's the fucking the franchise we should be. No, that'll be next time. We'll talk about the quadrilogy of Shrek's. We'll also put in Shrek 4D. This huge discussion <laughs> coming up. How do I cancel my Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's also, it helps that like the movie, unlike a lot of sci-fi movies, doesn't immediately exposit everything to you about like, this is the Matrix, this is the world. We get that explanation later and it's done so visually well. Like, I love that whole scene. Where a scene that could just be like, oh, hey, here's us telling you everything. It tells you everything, but it's like Morpheus is in the chair and you see like the mirrors. There's like, here's what the remains of the world that actually is. And here's what the Matrix is and all this other stuff. I think it does such a great job of at least unraveling that to you in a way that isn't necessarily like the deepest storytelling, but it is like just great storytelling. It really gets you immersed in what's going on. And, you know, Rafe, you kind of said this about Keanu earlier, that the movie kind of goes around his wooden acting. Um, what makes you feel that, like, this is one of the better examples of using Keanu in a film? I mean, he's got the action star persona 
Um, you know, he's definitely got the physicality for it. I particularly love that he's not a big buff guy, you know, that and, and for doing all the wire foo, he just he feels like the right guy. But his his acting is just not that great. And I mean, it, it, it's, it's appropriate for this movie. It, it never made me feel like, oh, God, it wasn't like, you know, his appearance in Bram Stoker's Dracula, where it's like, dude, you are in such the wrong movie. Here it's just like. This this is what you get, and and I like him in it. It's it doesn't it doesn't turn me off, but you know I mean the spectacle of it definitely overcomes anything that you might hesitate because of his acting. Well, I think at the same time what I like about him here and what I like about him in certain other roles, like I agree that he's a limited actor, but he really excels yeah. when you give him the right part. In a case like this, I totally believe him as Tom Anderson, the dude who's just like sure. I, I I live like a shitty existence where I hate my job and I just kind of like I go to raves and I also like deal out viruses and bullshit like that I, I, I'm i empathetic toward him to where when he gets the hint of a new world like I love the shot where he's at the club and Trinity comes up to him and talks about like there's a whole other world out there and they're looking for you you see that excitement in his eyes just like oh there is something I'm adamant for something more you get that sense to where when he ends up saying whoa it feels sincere at the same time that it's fucking hilarious that he says whoa every time oh sure i don't hate him in every movie don't get me wrong i mean there's like five people out there who like the lake house and i'm one of them it works for him to be sort of the surfer bro like whoa what's going on man and this because you're following him you're following like anybody in this circumstance would be like whoa what the fuck like you'd be right there with him and it totally makes sense And, and by the end of the movie he's the baddest motherfucker in the world be it the real world or the matrix, but still you, you get the idea that he's a very reliable character in this circumstance to where all of us would be sort of perplexed and dumbfounded by what we're witnessing. Anybody would, you get the idea that Keanu Reeves probably like that when he read the script. So he just carried that on and it works. It really does work. I think this is one of the better Keanu Reeves performances. And I, I, because of this performance, I think is why we have John wick and things like that, where people are like, Oh, he can do these sort of roles. It's better than like the big story was of course that Will Smith was almost this part. Oh fuck! And like, as we, someone, we wouldn't have gotten a trilogy. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. We would. I, I don't, we would have gotten a trilogy. I don't know if we would have gotten the trilogy that we got. I think that's the thing. But I don't. I don't think it would have worked as well because he has too much of like a confidence. Like I don't believe Will Smith would have been a dude in an office. I think that's the big thing. Is like he he would have totally been like average Will Smith who had been going around gallivanting. Like he would have been that club way earlier saying woo aha aha. And sing about Miami, probably. <laughs> when when you get into Baudrillard's whole philosophy, you know, which we actually see that book in the Matrix. When you when you read what Baudrillard writes in Simulacra and Simulation, he talks a lot about the nihilism of the system, and someone like Keanu. His acting kind of helps communicate that nihilistic feeling of someone plugged into the system, and Will Smith never would have pulled that off. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and in the same way that I don't think the other choice to like play off of him as Morpheus would have been Val Kilmer, who I also dig as an actor, but I don't think would have worked in this part necessarily compared to a Fishburne. And then I know the second choice for Morpheus was Sean Connery. Right, who was just like, I don't get any of this bullshit. I'm going to yeah, do... Yeah. I don't understand it. So he, the, the, we have that to thank for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Because he was offered Lord, of, he was offered Matrix, didn't understand. Offered Lord of the Rings, didn't understand it, and they were both huge hits. So he got League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, didn't understand it, but he took it. 
It's like, well, the other two were successful, so I'll do this. <laughs> and you're like, oh, fuck. I mean, I, I would still say, like, with to go into Morpheus, like, I love Fishburne so much in this movie. I think Fishburne has, like, that perfect balance of, like, when you initially see him as, like, an elder statesman for Keanu, and then the moment you find out, like, oh, he he's basically treated as, like, a fucking um, religious zealot that everyone yeah. kind of, like, looks down upon. And, like, the scene right after that, where it's, like, right before Agent Smith comes in, you instantly see just on his face, he's, like, completely crestfallen. He just looks so down and out. Like, he has so mm-hmm. much of this great mix of, like, elder statesman burly energy, but also a real sadness that works perfectly. Yeah, he's he is brilliant in this movie. Uh, I can't imagine anybody else playing that role, and I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> well, now you have to for the fourth one. Cause... Yeah, I was not going to go there, but yeah, I'm that that is one piece of the the fourth one that I'm a little nervous about. Um, you know, having having a new Morpheus, but we'll see how that pl- that plays out. I know they offered him just like you can sit in a chair again, like the third movie. That's all you have to do is sit in a fucking chair. And he's like, I don't know. Uh, but then again, I don't know. I My theory is I wouldn't be surprised if he has some kind of small cameo that we're not aware of. I really wouldn't be surprised if that was not the case. Though, uh, we'll we'll get into maybe our, some of our queries and thoughts about that by the end of the uh, the podcast. But um, you know, someone else, Carrie Ann Moss, who we haven't really talked about that much, I think is really stellar too. As someone who immediately is so capable... And I love the fact that the, a worser movie would have made her just totally like, I don't trust Neo whatsoever. Um, and just be like way more of like, I'm totally jealous of him. But I think the movie does a great job of balancing out. Like, well, I know he's the one and I might be reluctant to help him. But at least want to like actually help him along. The thing about the Carrie Ann Moss character, which I really love, the Trinity character, like she's not 100% convinced that Neo's maybe the one right off the bat, but she's 100% convinced that Morpheus believes he's the one. Mm-hmm. And she's willing to follow whatever Morpheus says. She she believes and trusts in Morpheus so much that okay, fine. Then he's the one. We'll go for it. And and as you said about a worser movie, you know, I mean, she we we learned she had, was told by the Oracle that she would love the one, you know, and they could have very easily made her a less capable character who just is love smitten once she realizes he's the one, or immediately falls apart once Neo enters the scene. And it's, she's no, she's a badass the whole way through. I mean, she's a badass the whole way through the trilogy. You know, there's there's no point where I really feel like she's sidelined because she's supposed to be a love interest. If anything, I think that helps her character. Their relationship in this movie, at least, I, I think they kind of lose track of her in the sequels in a way that I think we'll definitely talk about um in this one i think her and keanu work so well because they kind of feel like they're actually helping each other throughout this whole thing especially trinity just helping him along like with any of the scenes like particularly the huge awesome um sequence in the uh, office lobby where they're both fighting off against each other it feels like no we are equals here and we're gonna kick so much ass and it's just like yeah they're united and they're gonna totally decimate this fucking lobby when this movie came out i was working in audio visual and we would use that scene to test up any sound systems we set up because of the music in that lobby scene <laughs> makes sense that yeah. makes sense yeah it's fucked that up but the sound design of this movie too and the score and everything it's just pitch perfect it's pitch perfect you know there's very few movies that i would call perfect right out the gate uh, but I do think the first Matrix movie is a perfect film. I'm a very staunch believer of your movie's only as good as the villain, when it's that type of movie, hero-villain movie. And uh, Hugo Weaving is Agent Smith in this movie. Um, he chews up every bit of scenery he's in. It's one of the most masterful performances of a movie villain in the last 30 years, easily. 
that scene with Morpheus where he's trying to break his mind, you know, I finally figured out it's the smell. I'm saturated by it. You're like, yeah, dude, fuck yeah. Get him, Agent Smith. You almost root for Agent Smith at times because the performance is that good. It's it's kind of a groundbreaking performance. What it also does so interestingly, like that character and also I think is the same thing with like the um, Joe Pantoliano, a cypher character, like a lot of the other like villains and particularly this one, I think do such a great job of like really making you empathize where like Agent Smith is a program that wants to get out of the Matrix. Like he's an artificial creed being that wants to get out. And the same way that Cypher's like, he's like a regular being. Yeah, I want to get back into the Matrix. I, I love that. I love that so much. It's just like, uh, you know, it's fucking terrible out here. I want to eat steak again. <laughs> like, And you're like, you know what? No, I get it. <laughs> it probably shitty to be in a burlap sack and eating like processed bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. And the same way I get with Agent Smith, which is like the his animosity totally just comes from like wanting to get out and even like his anger toward him just like you're a virus. That's what you are, you're a virus. It's such a great model. I, the way I describe, it, especially when I was watching it this time, what works so much about Hugo Weaving's accent is like, oh, this is the best example of like an Australian covering up their bad American accent by it's digitally yeah. created. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> You would help your landlady take out her garbage. <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds artificial. It sounds like he's almost pained or straining to say everything he says. Like he's almost fighting his own programming the entire time. And it's it's really super effective. Oh, sure. Markets Chong. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think, like, the supporting people are pretty solid. Particularly, my favorite, though, is uh, Belinda McCloria Switch. Yes. Yes, 100%. And she should have been the, the kind of trans representation in the movie. The original idea was that she was a male avatar inside of the Matrix and right. a female outside. And uh, I, I, it's a shame that they didn't go through with that. I, I definitely think if they made it now, they definitely would. They wouldn't even hesitate on that. But at the time, they, they changed their mind about it. But I think the idea is still there on screen. I, st- sure. I, I still think, now that you know, obviously, what they were going through with transitioning and things like that, it's very easy to look back at that character and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Right, yeah, you can definitely see that. But also just her delivery on particularly, not like this. Oh. Not like this. It, it breaks your heart. Uh, I I just saw a YouTube video that was parodying that moment, and it's like just the just the intonation. There's no doubt where they got the inspiration for that from. You know, that's it's just that that in itself is kind of an iconic line delivery. No, yeah, that's the thing where there's no small parts really. Even like some of the other agents, like they're around Smith. I wish that in the sequels we have a lot more. Just like let's copy Agent Smith. I like having other right. guys trying to do their version of Smith, basically, and going around. And I think it's just really effective to see just like these other like toadies basically going around as Smith. I think like there's it's really just like there are no truly small parts. Even of course Gloria Foster, who's phenomenal as the Oracle. And such a great example right. of like taking a kind of cliche of just like, oh, she's the kindly old black woman. But in this case, she's just like completely aware. Like she takes advantage of like that kind of trope and turns it into just more of like, like I bake cookies and bullshit, but I'm not fucking around with you. This is what's going to happen. And this is why it's all screwed right. up. And she's so good. She has one scene in this movie and she kills it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she essentially has one scene in the second movie and kills it there, too. <laughs> right. But yeah, so we, we haven't talked as much about the specific action beats. What's everybody's favorite action set piece in the original Matrix? What's the one that like really just instantly like, oh, this is like phenomenal? 
the the lobby battle just without a doubt the the way the the everything comes together the 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 visual effects and the music and uh the the gunplay and all that I mean, that's just a, an action masturbation scene right there <laughs> oh no i definitely agree uh i mean that would be my one too but if i had to pick another one obviously that's the start of the morpheus escape Mm-hmm. but the helicopter with the Gatling gun and then Trinity swinging against the building and all that stuff. It's just, it, it, once they enter that lobby and he opens the coat and the fucking security guard is like, holy shit, it doesn't stop. I mean, it's fucking pound for pound some of the best modern action ever. If not, even take the word modern out of it. It's some of the best filmed action beats of all time. It's It's phenomenal. Love it. And I also, uh, uh, Neo training with Morpheus is pretty fucking badass, too. That was the one I was going to bring up, I think, is the training sequence, really. Like, aside from the opening bit with Trinity, I think the training sequence does such a great job of, like, it's another great example of expositing what exactly is going on, that we're downloading Kung Fu into you, basically. But then when you actually see, like, them face off, it's just like, oh, the choreography is here. That's what's so great is, because it was only, like, a $63 million movie, which is astounding now looking back it's at same. it. Yeah. Yeah, but it only costs that much money. It's so astonishing just watching it like, oh no, it's this great mix of like, you can see where there's clear CG, but the bits where it's clear these actors actually working off each other in the wire foo, it's astonishing. It's just really, it's just like, oh my God, we are seeing movie magic truly take place in a sequence like that. Yeah, and Morpheus's little foot shuffle makes that fucking scene. I right. swear to God. It really does. It makes the whole fucking scene. And it's just, yeah, I know Kung Fu. Let's see you use it. You're like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. We're about to get into it now. God damn it, I love this movie so much. And that's why I'm I'm really going to have a hard time talking about the next two, especially with a Wraith. (laughs) It's going to be rough. (laughs) Well, what I also like is, like, you mentioned the whole thing about the tutorial game element. That feels like it's the perfect tutorial in the middle of this, like, game. Like, so many games I have played have a sequence like that, which is like, let's go into a dojo or whatever and actually have the sequence like play out. I, I, I love all of that. And it's even like you mentioned some of the smaller things with like people that are just like actor choices like that. Or later on when they talk about that, like, Oh, Hey, have you ever seen that one redhead girl that goes around all the time? I programmed her that one guy in the, the fucking thing. Like it, it just shows like even small details show like these people have lived huge lives either in or outside the matrix. And, like, they've built up really, truly interesting personalities, every single one of them. That's a great scene, too. Were you listening to me, or were you looking at the woman in the white dress? Red dress. Well, look, red dress. Look again. And there's the agent. Like, it's so fucking good. Like, he's throwing him against the wall, basically, Neil. Like, you gotta learn fucking fast, dude. Because we're in dire straits right now. And if you are the one, if you are our messiah, if you are this, then we need you to get up to speed super, super fast. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty great. And also too, the look of the actual real world, um, with the look of the Nebuchadnezzar and the way it all looks, but man, the Sentinel design is some of the coolest, creepiest looking robots that have ever existed in movies. They're terrifying looking the way they move, the way that they latch onto the ship with the laser coming out of almost like their mouth. And they got almost like a bug appearance to them. Like it's just such great character and creative design. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's mind blowing. All cylinders were firing on 10 here. And I think we ended up with all cylinders firing on 13. Like it's, it's pretty fantastic. 
Yeah. Definitely agree. And even, like, with the Chosen One element of it, like, I've said before on the show, I'm not hugely a fan of, like, the Chosen One narrative. I think it's something that gets overused a lot. What I like is there's so much doubt about the Chosen One narrative within the context of this movie, because of how much it's like, look, Morpheus kind of believes in this thing, it's kind of a legend, we don't fucking know, but we trust him, so it might work out. There's, like, so much of that worry and that doubt that by the time Neo officially becomes the one, when they're down there in that subway... It is like one of another killer fucking action set piece with like him fighting Agent Smith leading into, I think, one of the best endings in a fucking movie ever. I love the final phone call with everything. It's just like, I I don't know, you'll find me, I'll find you, and we'll do this out. And the rare, like probably the only time in the history of the world that the use of Rage Against the Machine fucking works. (laughs) It works so fucking well. I, I will address uh, that chosen one comment and the final phone call when we get into the next movie, because I do have comments on, on both of those, but they tie more into Reloaded than, than The Matrix. Well, um, but do you have anything else to say about this movie, though? <laughs> uh, I, I do want to throw one thing in uh, just about The Matrix, kind of the, the whole franchise. Uh, one of the things I, I love, you made the comment about Morpheus, you know, the elder statesman and where we get the exposition with him sitting in the chair and explaining the history as we know it. And I absolutely love that when they did the Animatrix series and we get the second uh, Renaissance part one and part two, and you learn the real history of what happened between man and machine, Morpheus does not know the whole story. And I Mm -hmm. love that. I don't think for a second that Morpheus was lying to Neo, but his knowledge was limited. And I think that helps build his character even more uh, kind of, as you said, as kind of a religious zealot, but also, um, you know, is is that he is he's a soldier. He's told what he needs to know in order to do his job, as we see in the, the subsequent movies as well. But uh, no, this this movie is so, so perfect. It it doesn't uh, I, I it doesn't really have a flaw. And they, the fact is that the the visual effects age perfectly like i i just watched it this week in preparation for this and it's like you can't tell me that this is a 20 year old movie it, it still looks better than some of the crap that we get today yeah. i completely agree um and then, real quick before you transition i, I wanted to address the chosen one thing too thomas because i agree with you i think it's a very sort of tired and cliche storytelling technique but i do think it works incredibly well in this because it's an un- unreliable chosen one because everyone's telling him it is, but he doesn't even believe he is. Yeah, right. There's a lot of other people who don't believe he is. So it's not like automatically, oh, he's the savior. He's going to save us. You don't know until that fight scene with Agent Smith. You have no idea that he is the one, but it, it just works so expertly well. And that might be my, part of my problem with these sequels. But well, 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 no, but even like you guys were talking about this, like, um, Morpheus even mentions the fact that like we only know so much because right. of how long it's been since all of society collapsed on the real world. Like we don't really know. We only have like snippets and bits and pieces. So that's what they're able to piece together. And I agree that like the Animatrix does such a great job with that particular segment of really piecing together. Like, well, there's a bit more, and especially that she was a uh, robots were kind of sympathetic. We were the assholes. <laughs> oh no, we, we were horrible. Yes. Uh, if, if you've never seen the Animatrix, we won't cover it in detail here, but uh, those, those are worth watching. If you've not seen those shorts, they're pretty stellar. So, yeah, now we're at The Matrix Reloaded, which came out May 15th, 2003. And interestingly, this and Revolutions were shot back-to-back. One of the many examples where they kind of try and 
capitalize on that element of it after the success of a first movie. And uh, yeah, this had a lot of hype going into it. There was obviously like the Animatrix was released in the video games, a lot of tie-in stuff, and there was a lot of hype for it. And um, this one was not as well-received, at least initially there was a bit of that like Phantom Menace, like, oh, it's good. It's good, right? Yeah, it's good, right? And eventually just kind of like a collapse, a bit, at least in terms of popular opinion. But Rafe, uh, you're a bit more of a fan of the sequel, so I'm curious as to um, what makes you really like, at least with this one in particular, maybe if any of that stuff that you were saving from the first movie ties into here. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the way this one opens. Um, because to me, it's a direct response to what you were talking about with the way the first one closes. The first one closes with that awesome phone call about, you know, I can't tell you how it's going to end, but I'm going to tell you how it starts. And this is where we're going to go from here. And now we rejoin them six months later and not much has happened. Yeah, he can fly real well now, but the whole idea of being the chosen one hasn't advanced the cause that much. They do say that they've freed more minds than ever within that period. But the fact that he's the chosen one hasn't really changed things. Not as dramatically as that speech would have us think at the end of the first movie. And over the course of the film, we we learn why. Because the whole idea of this chosen one is actually part of the Matrix. It's built into the software. It's, a, it's an anomaly that is supposed to be corrected. And it's, it's more uh, systems of control. And I just... That really carries on the philosophical ideas of nihilism and and simulation that the first film starts, uh, which is which is a big part of why I love this film. Now I don't think it's a perfect film. One of the things that disappointed me the most about this, not so much the Wachowskis, because they were staying pretty much silent with the press. So I think it was more Joel Silver who was producer, um, was talking about how just like the first one created this new technology with bullet time, that they were creating a new technology for special effects that would be built upon for decades to come. And basically they gave us some PlayStation screens of Neo fighting uh, a lot of CG enemies and they looked terrible then and they look even worse now <laughs> right where they look speaking of the shrek comparison they look a lot like shrek extras <laughs> you see yeah. them in full <laughs> <laughs> complete with bowling pin sound effect at one point <laughs> right yes <laughs> but the, the cg neo in particular is such such a disappointment after the special effects of the first movie it's like what were you guys thinking so i, I don't think it's a perfect movie but I love that it kind of undermines this whole idea of the chosen one, that that so many movies that end up becoming a franchise that have a chosen one, well, the chosen one is the solution to everything. And and while ultimately Neo is the solution to everything, a, a lot of it is not just because he's the chosen one, it's because he's you know Mr. Anderson, because he's Neo, because of um, because of of him and Trinity and and Morpheus. Yeah, I would say I think that's why I would say of the two sequels, especially with time, I think Reloaded is my preferred is because I think it's deconstructing a lot of that stuff you're talking about. I love so much of what they're going for with that, even down to the architect scene, which is infamously a bit that a lot of people made fun of. There's even a great Will Ferrell parody, the MTV Movie Awards, of Ergo Vis-a-Vis, all that. It's it's a funny parody of the fact that they're going a long way to show you like, oh, this guy thinks he's so high and mighty because he's the architect that uses all these $5 words. And right. I agree with that. I think that's clearly what they're kind of trying to put out, that this is intentionally like overperformative. Um, I do think though that with how many interesting philosophical ideas they're going for, it is delivered in a weird way where they're trying to balance that 
and also a lot of the people on Zion who are introduced to and kind of building out the world at the same time they're deconstructing so much. So I think it's they're biting off a lot more than I think they can chew, which I think is more respectable than what we get now where it's just kind of like, oh, let's repeat the first movie again. Exactly. As opposed to the, the, these are ambitious and they're daring, at least the sequels. Um, noticeably, Adam's been a bit quiet. If he wants to say anything here, for specifically Reloaded. All right, well, I'll put it like this. Out of the two sequels, Reloaded is better than Revolutions. I, I, I do agree with that. Um, I did not. I saw this at the theater opening day. I walked out going, what the fuck did I just watch? You know, and th- there might be a lot of those deep philosophical things in there. and But I think they get clouded with a 10-minute hard nipple rave scene and a orgasm scene because someone eats a piece of chocolate cake. And all the exposition behind that. And, you know, kiss me like pretend I'm her. And you're like, dude, what the fuck is going on here? Like, they, they just try to throw too much into it. The first one does have a lot of deep meaning and stuff. And I'm not saying you can't expound upon that and add more. That's totally fine. You absolutely should, especially to keep a franchise going. And in the sequel, you have to up the ante. I understand that. And, and I'm not saying that they didn't up the ante. I don't know that they upped the ante in the right way in this. I think they added too much expository, too much unnecessary characters. Vampires and werewolves, like, what the fuck? The ghost twins, which, by the way, looked badass. I liked the ghost twins a lot. I needed a little bit more of them. But I will say, the freeway chase scene in this is maybe one of the better action beats of the franchise. I think it's pretty phenomenal. But it's just too much shit. Why? The why is because you can't understand anything past a choice that you don't understand. So you've got to understand why these choices are made. Well, yeah, maybe that is the case. You might be 100% correct on that. But the thing is, if you took something that worked incredibly well and then you take the next one and, and really sort of over-convolute it, it, then I get to the point to where this isn't really necessarily for the, in my opinion, the majority of the fans of the first movie. I feel it's, it can be very alienating. And I think that's ultimately what happened with these second and third ones. They sort of maybe alienated the core fan base. I don't think any new fans were brought on either. I think the people who progress from the story of the first one to the second and the third, yeah, it worked for them. But I can't see the second or third bringing in anybody new. It's just, to me, it's just an overconvoluted mess. Right. I mean, I, I'll say this, but yeah, they are very uncommercial movies. I don't think anyone's, not even Rafe, who loves these movies, is probably denying that, like, they are not very commercial to oh, any yeah, degree. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But, no, so so you brought up a, a couple of points, uh, Thomas, if you don't mind. I don't want to cut you off on your own show. Please, but, no, go ahead. We brought you on for this reason, please. The one that you you brought on that, that I hear the most and I just don't understand people's criticism of is the rave scene. Because to me, that's such an essential moment in this franchise. Because the first movie, all the humans we saw was this tiny little band of rebels versus everybody else who is plugged into the system. And the system, as I said before, is nihilistic. They are, they're, they're emotionless. They're nothing. So here's Zion and here are people. So you have to get that 
that contrast of true humanity versus people who are plugged into the system and the machines. And to me, that's perfectly encapsulated in the, in that the speech and the the short rave. I will admit the rave lasts a little longer than it probably needs to. That's I like the music, so I don't criticize it too much. But but I love that moment. I don't have but, any problem with them celebrating and enjoying their humanity and really showing them as a one sort of unified humanity, you know, as far as a people and everything. But it's way too fucking long. But I hear it criticized more frequently than almost anything else in the movie, so which is why I wanted to, to say. I think it's, it's an, an important it's, part. You hear it criticized so much, and it, it, this is my opinion, and because it, it does feel out of place because it is – in the way that everyone's sweaty and you do you see a lot of figures and forms, it does come across almost like a sexualized scene in a movie that sure. there is no sexuality in these films for the most part. So I get why it could be a little jarring for people. Well, and it doesn't I, help that it's contrasted with Neo and Trinity off, you know, actually having sex. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But their, but their sex scene is mild compared to even the rave scene. From the the energy behind it and everything like that, so I get where it could be off putting for people. I'm not saying that it's unnecessary. I do think it is necessary. I just think it it lingers a little too long. Well, and I will totally agree with you on the um the orgasmic piece of of cake or pie or whatever. Like I get what they were going for. I personally really like the Merovingian and Persephone uh, and, and seeing these other characters added that are part of the system that are, that are programs within the system. And I, I, I like that, but the Merovingian speech on causality was enough. We didn't really need that to follow it up as a direct example. And it's just, it's just a weird fucking moment in the movie. Um, if anything, let's cut that and give us more because I think the, the most interesting thing about the Merovingian was that the whole vampires are real ghosts are real they're all just broken programs in the matrix awesome give us more than of that and the film other than the twins it doesn't really give us that now you do fight some vampires in the enter the matrix video game um so you, it does it kind of lay the foundation and a lot of this movie lays the foundation for that video game and also the end of matrix has that cool bit where the kids go to the haunted house Right, right, right. Yeah. This is really cool. But like, I, I like some of that stuff that's building up the mythology. I agree. I think even with like the Merovingian, I like the my hot take is I like the orgasmic cake thing because it shows just how further like these guys are so excessive that they're willing to be like, not. We, I could have just said the causality thing. I could have just said that. But here, I'm going to give this lady an orgasm with cake because we're just freaky French fucking program people that want to do whatever <laughs> the fuck we want. We're excessive weirdos that'll do that. That's. Swing. We're right. fucking swingers. I, I did that on Letterboxd. I made the joke of just like, hey, my wife and I saw you from across the bar and we really dig your vibe. <laughs> you want some orgasm cake? Because <laughs> that's what they are. <laughs> that's, just, that's exactly what they are. That stuff holds up even more for me like that. Or even the rave thing I also like because it's just like, yeah, that rave scene lasts a while. But it's just like, if you're in fucking Zion, you got nothing else to do. Fucking have like a 24-hour rave. Just like fuck each other in the middle of that place. Sure, if everyone's consensual with it. Why the fuck not? I mean, the machines are coming. What else are you going to do? Right. <laughs> just fuck in the middle of that rave. Sure. <laughs> oh, you don't have steak. So let's do this. Why not? <laughs> I mean, any given day, I might prefer one or the other. <laughs> I don't know. Is it a rave sex day or a, or a steak day? Is it a steak sex day? That, <laughs> those those are really good days. Those are good days. Those, those, in my in my history, those are those are called birthdays, and that's it. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, this movie made me fall in love with Monica Bellucci as Persephone, and I was glad that she ended up getting a couple more uh, American roles after this. You know, this kind of helped give her a little bit of an American career because uh, that is a beautiful woman. Yeah, I, I don't think the whole kiss me like you kiss her thing works either, but it gives her more screen time and a nice kiss, and I'll take it. No, I, I love actually my favorite bit of her is the delivery on when he kisses her and she's like, nope, not good enough, I'm leaving. <laughs> Like, I love that bit. That's so fucking funny. And I'm just like, I, I think, yeah, she, she works really well. It's just like, oh, someone who initially seems like I'm just a cipher. And then the more you get to know me, it's just like, no, I want to get the fuck. This guy's a weird, pretentious piece of shit. He has no also, love for me. Also, her second on-screen kiss with Keanu Reeves. What was her what first? Was the first one again? She was the head vampire bride, Ramps Over Dracula. That's right! Which I did yep. not realize. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, no, Michael Bellucci's great, man. I've always liked her. Like, even the hardcore movies that are hard to watch, like Irreversible, or she's great in Brotherhood of the Wolf. Monica Bellucci's yeah. a great actress, man. Yes. She's really, really good. So any more I can get of her uh, on any level, I'm, I'm good with. But I mean, I, I even like the ghost element of it. I do like those ghost guys, and I like, like, there's so much of stuff that, like, kind of brings up interesting ideas about the Matrix that I just kind of wish were maybe explored even more of just, like, we'll actually have some more, like, I want to see vampire dudes. I want to see werewolf dudes. That would right. be, like, pretty fucking cool in the actual movie, and I just kind of tease it. But at the same time, there still is, like, pretty cool stuff. Like, you mentioned the freeway chase, Adam. Uh, obviously, yeah, 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 like, such a phenomenal sequence that has like so many great examples like actually mixing cg and practical stuff well until neo flies in that's the bummer about that sequence (laughs) that ends on shrek neo coming in (laughs) also i think daniel bernhardt as sort of the new agent yes in the second and third the thing about daniel bernhardt he's one of the most reliable action actors around uh he's in john wick he's the main russian uh, henchman, the one he fights in the church. He's in Nobody. He's in uh, Just Came Out, that Red Notice. Daniel Bernhardt is pretty phenomenal as far as like looking the part and being able to back it up with his choreography. And he's a really good foil, especially for Morpheus. Uh, it's a great scene because, you know, yeah, Neo can kick the living shit out of these agents. And he does it, you know, all the time. Morpheus, you're like, oh, Morpheus is going to die. And it's a pretty great scene because it's almost like Morpheus accepting, like, fuck it, I'm going to die. If it gives Neo a couple more minutes, oh, well, here's what we got to do. And that's uh, the weight of that scene is really what propels it to be as good as it is. Yeah, I, I think that all works. And also, but at the same time, it's so fun seeing him do like the, almost the, uh, the the Kung Fu style, like when he flies up. And he does, like, mm-hmm. the, the kung fu stances and shit. I just, I, I love all that. It gives him a chance, even especially as, like, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, at this point, was kind of starting to get into his, like, doughier phase. But he still yes. is, like, fully a badass at the same time that he is. He, he works that to his advantage. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's a brawny guy here. He's got pounds on him. Right. For as sure. opposed to, I will say, I think my biggest problem with this movie in particular is... The whole Trinity prophecy thing, I have such a problem with it. Like, Neo's whole motivation is just Trinity's gonna die. Trinity's gonna die in this one action set piece. And I think that's all Trinity really has to do, pretty much, aside from like have sex with him and some other stuff. It's just like, oh, hey, um, I'm gonna like have this cool action set piece and then die and be the motivating factor for you saving me. When, especially in Revolutions, it's like, oh, that doesn't really matter. So it's just like, I don't know what we're yeah. really doing with that. Okay. Well, I mean, I I would argue they couldn't get as far as they get in Revolutions without her. But um, yeah, okay, I can kind of see that. 
Well, I mean, I mean, I'm just more talking about the fact that she dies in revolutions kind of like deflates this whole thing. Yeah. The, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Can we also like, honestly, just agree that Hugo Weaving as agent Smith was a big success in the first movie. So now we're like, let's give you all the Hugo. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's, it's like that Simpsons. It's like, oh, you like donuts. Say we'll have all the Hugo Weavings in the world. <laughs> right. It's like, it was so funny. And it, and it sounds so weird, but it's about another sci-fi movie. I was talking to my father-in-law at the time about uh, the Tom Cruise movie, Oblivion. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I really liked it. It felt like Tom Cruise's ego was in check. I'm like, yeah, I totally had to fight an army of Tom Cruises. The CGI on the playground scene is so bad. The burly brawl. Yeah, I yeah. hate that scene. There's no gravity to any of it. And I understand nope. Neil can fly and all this stuff, but it just looks so phony. Like, what the yeah. fuck are we doing here? The first one works so great, but it, Thomas, you and I have talked about this show, and I think, Rafe, you and I have had a conversation about this. The first one was a success, so they gave them more money to do the second one. And you could feel that they had more money in the second one with the CGI. It's the limitations of the first one with the $68 million, and they, they create this new technology and everything that made it work. So once it goes unchecked, you're like, oh, well, but again, Joel Silver really thought this was going to be another new technology that everyone would be using from this point on. And I mean, he was wrong. It's bad. Uh, I mean, Smith Smith is good despite that. I think his performance, you know, his speeches are really good moments. And I love the evolution of his character. Uh, I, I even want to say, you know, Ian Bliss playing the, the, the real world version of Smith is a great impersonation, although that's more in the, the third film. And but I and I've I've read people criticizing you know oh, the virus wouldn't be able to duplicate itself virus wouldn't be able to take over somebody in the real world it's like yeah we've never seen a virus you know mutate into a variant form of any sort ever in human history no no what are you a real omicron over there <laughs> when I first saw this I, I would have agreed with that you know like how the hell is he transitioning to the real world and blah blah but then when you find out well Neo is actually that too right so you're like right. oh I guess he just kind of got to go for it. You know, and so I, I didn't really have necessarily have a problem in hindsight on that. When I first saw it, I thought it was stupid, but I get it now. Like in context of the story and the story they're trying to tell. Yeah, yeah of course. If Neo could do it, why could somebody else? Right. I also want to address the whole like, oh, Joel Silver was saying, I agree that I think at the time that hurt the movie, but to their credit, they actually were developing a lot of like digital cinematography techniques that are still used to this day in that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, so much of, like, any scene where it's, like, oh, a bunch of those, like, Neo and Smiths attacking each other, it looks bad here, but a lot of those techniques were basically, like, kind of breaking groundwork for, like, any of these, say, modern Disney movies where, like, the Jungle Book basically was shot on digital sets that were initially created for this movie. Which is, like, how there's, like, the lack of the cameras and stuff like that is, like, all originates from these Matrix sequels. So he should have said more a case of, like, oh, we're kind of testing out things that hopefully will be used later, as opposed to, oh, I even remember that at the time, like, we're breaking ground! Yep. Which, to be fair, it's Joel Silver, who also, if you don't know, is one of those personality producers in Hollywood that was also, like, behind a bunch of Shane Black movies. What do you think about maybe some of the new Zion characters? Like, we get the kid... And we get, uh, like, Mifune and some of these other people. Like, what do you think of them establishing some of that stuff on the periphery? Do I get to include Link in those characters? Yeah, sure. Because Link is the best addition to this cast. (laughs) Uh, I mean, after, you know, especially because, you know, after this, Harold Perignot goes on to do Lost, where he kind of didn't get really well used on Lost. And when he did, he was kind of a dick. Um, 
I, I love his character in this, and and it's such an upgrade from what we had in the first movie, which thankfully was brought about because of uh, uh, salary dispute, but uh, it, yeah. it ended up working in the audience's yeah. favor. Um, and and I, I love him. The kid annoys me, but I love the tie-in with that Animatrix story that kind of explains why Neo says, you know, he saved himself, and it, it's kind of an interesting concept there as well. You know, Harry Lennox as... Uh, Commander Locke is a, ph- a phenomenal addition to the cast. I love. I think it's stupid, but I also love the romance triangle there between Niobe and Locke and Morpheus. And it's the, the whole, um, you know, because things, some things never change and some things do. That that repetition and callback of that throughout the script, I kind of really enjoy. I love that we get a look at Zion and we get to feel for some of these characters, and, I, and that's especially important now that Zion is the target of the new attack, that it's not just the man versus machines in the matrix, but that there's going to be a real world battle. We really need to set those stakes. And I think they do a good job of putting enough characters out there that you're going to care about these people beyond just the fact that this is the last remnants of humanity. I think it's kind of hit or miss for me. I think I agree with you about Link. I think Harold Perrineau and all that stuff. I didn't say all of them work. I said I think they put enough out there that you get some connection. Right. That's true. No, but I think Link is the best example of that. I would agree. With so many of these other characters, it's like they establish a lot of the ideas, but they don't build a lot of personality. Link has a lot of personality, which is so fun. Like, particularly as he's, like, in the middle of the adventure, he's doing stuff like that. Yes! And all this other stuff. He has this excitable nature to him. I agree that Perrineau is probably my favorite of the new he's, guys. He's the audience surrogate because we're yes. doing the same thing that he's doing. <laughs> right. It's particularly where it's just like shit's going down. He's like, oh no. Oh God, this is yeah. happening. Why is this happening? I think he's the best example. Some of the, like the kid, I'm not a fan of at all. No. I think probably it's more that actor. I can't, I, I like the idea of like Neo pulled this guy out of the Matrix in the Animatrix. I think they do a great job of like establishing a lot of that versus here. I just think that Clay Watson, I believe is his name, Clayton Watson. And I am not a fan of him, which is like him having this weird Jiminy Jellicers attitude where it's like, dude, you're like 30. Right. I was going to say he's 16 <laughs> going on 25. Right. right yeah. <laughs> It's like, I'm almost old enough he to be on the ship. Me. Dude, you got five o'clock shadow. You could rent a car at this point, motherfucker. You can get on the ship. <laughs> he almost reminds me of the Jamie Bell character from the Peter Jackson King Kong. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, well, Gene Wilkers, huh? What do you say, boss? Like, I can't fucking stand him. Uh, Harold Perignon, I, I typically, I don't like him as an actor, to be honest. There's something about him. But I really do like Link in this movie. Um, especially Link's sort of main introduction where he goes into his house. He's like, oh, I'm about to tap that. And then his kids come out. You're like, oh, <laughs> I feel so bad. He's been gone for so long. Like, it's a very relatable thing. Like, that's the thing. He's a very relatable character. He's probably one of the most relatable characters from Zion in this in this movie where he's just a dude, man, who's in these crazy circumstances. I do agree. I think Link's great. You can miss me with Niobe. I don't know if it's Jada Pinkett's performance or what it is. I just I don't care about the Niobe character at all. I truly well, there, don't. she's she's underused in the movie, and the real reason that they have her and Ghost in the movie in the first place was because they did the Enter the Matrix, which yeah. the video game that ran concurrently with this, so that you could un- see their adventures that were going on while this movie and, is going on. And unfortunately, that's what they they come across as they come across right. as place with characters and you're like, okay, well, if anything, it just feels like there's like a real missing because of that. And also there's the one was the flight of the, 
Phoenix the is final the, flight of the Osiris. The final flight of the yeah, Osiris. Yeah. Short. That's all that stuff. When I ever I watched the Animatrix for the first time, I'm like, oh my god, why wasn't this in the movie? This is like crucial plot shit. Why isn't this in the movie? <laughs> it would actually add something to like have that, or even some of the stuff from Enter the Matrix as well. I agree because like as it stands, Jada Pinkett just feels like she's a person who's in this movie, and there's like reels missing. Literally. Right. Because there are, because they were put in the video game. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, like, I get why, like, it, it was really groundbreaking for them to try and establish that at that time. Like, oh, we're telling across various media platforms with the Animatrix and all this other stuff. But it's like, in retrospect, it's like, you really, you should save that for, like, interesting background material that does isn't crucial to us being invested in the character. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's a criticism. I mean, that that was groundbreaking with this. This was the first movie to do kind of that Animatrix-type thing that we've seen done with a lot of other franchises now where they have... I mean, hell, we just had uh, Star Wars Visions come out earlier mm-hmm. this year, which is kind of the same concept. And, like, as a longtime World of Warcraft player, not anymore, but as once I was, that always bothered me when, like, the narrative would be continued forward in a novel or a comic book and not the video game that I was committed to, to playing. It's the same thing here, that when they advance the narrative through these additional things instead of just the movie, uh, you do run the risk of alienating people. There's no doubt about it because not everybody is going to go see the Animatrix. Not everybody's going to play the video game. I I would wager. It sounds like Adam played it, but I'm guessing you never did, Thomas. No. Story-wise, it was a fantastic – yeah, me too. Story-wise, it was a fantastic game, but mechanically, it was terrible. It was just a a shitty beat-em-up game. Yeah, and if you were going um, to release story through that, then it needed to be good. <laughs> well, without that, without that kind of stuff, we wouldn't have the innovation of having Palpatine's whole motivation for Rise of Skywalker in Fortnite. I saw the Fortnite thing. Wait, why am I proud of that? <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with you, Rafe. I, I do think a lot of times when the story has to be told through tie-ins and things like that, it, it, it can alienate. It really doesn't work. Uh, but I do think. Uh, other than the Animatrix, the Matrix would have really worked to have maybe backstory graphic novels or things like that. I think it could have really worked. To not necessarily be a tool to fill in the plot, but to sort of add weight to it. I think it could have worked really well. Unfortunately, we got that Enter the Matrix video game, which was a failure. Um, the Animatrix, more often than not, the segments work. But also on the flip side, that is a problem to where you have to release those things in order to tell your story to make it more relatable. And I think that's maybe the problem we really fell into with these later sequels to where there's so much they're trying to tell and they cram so much exposition into these movies, especially the, I say the second one that you kind of get lost in it to where I, I don't care. I don't care about this old white fuck sitting in a chair in a white suit saying acquiesce and here to, and therefore, over and over. Like, okay. Well, we, we might as well talk about that, I guess, more in detail. The architect scene is probably, like, as I mentioned, was made fun of so much. But I think is getting exactly at what a lot of what Brave was talking about with, like, really deconstructing that whole thing. I think that's the problem is that, like, I had to watch that scene through a couple rewatches to fully get, like, oh, shit. He is basically just saying, like, yeah, you've lived this whole fucking thing six times already. We've already done this thing with you so many times. It doesn't really fucking matter. Like, I knew this was going to happen. This is all baked into the fucking Matrix. You being the one, you saving everything. It's just, like, the thing that reboots the whole fucking system. That's all it is. That's all that matters. And I think that idea is brilliant. I just hate that it kind of 
I had to really deeply examine it a couple times before I finally got that. I had to crack a code, basically. Yeah, I don't want to pull out a, I don't want to pull out a fucking thesaurus. You know, I don't want to pull out a fucking... Like, don't wrong. I, I, I listen good. I read good. But... <laughs> <laughs> Me am smart. SMRT. Be a smart man. But the way he says it, and it is such run-on sentences, it's where you literally like, wait, what? Before he says the next sentence, you haven't even caught up with the first sentence. You have to almost rewatch. Two, two, two things on that. Uh, I was just looking through my uh, my college thesis uh, in preparation for this, going because it's, it's been fifteen years, uh, and I had my professor had made a note the grammatical uh, correctness of the uh, architect's speech. Like this doesn't make any sense. And I was like, but neither does Baudrillard. If you read Simulacra and Simulation, it, it sound that's what it sounds like. It sounds it's a book of the architect saying that kind of shit. Yeah, but reading it and listening to it is completely different. Reading something and having it dictated to you is completely different. It's easier to comprehend the written word. Oh yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think you yeah. think I'm arguing with you. I'm agreeing with you. It's ridiculous. Can I ask you a question, Rafe? Did you write your college thesis with a quill? (laughs) (laughs) On parchment? (laughs) On parchment. (laughs) Did you have a wax seal to what you delivered? Yes, I had a wax seal to to seal it closed before it was delivered by a courier uh, who had to ride day and night by horse. Delivered by Paul Revere. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Revere, big Matrix head. Loves the Matrix. Uh, (laughs) But I think, to their credit with the Wachowskis, like, that's part of the intent, I think, with the architect's speech, is that it really is, like, him obfuscating so much of this truth because he thinks so lowly of Neo. And I do love, like, the back and forth between him and Neo, where Neo is totally, like, trying to basically go through it with, like, a butter knife, just like, oh, wait, no, this is bullshit. This is what you're talking about. I totally get this now. Like, that, they are trying to give a hand to the audience with, like, what Neo was saying is basically what he's actually trying to get at with, like, this whole speech. And also, I love the bank of monitors. Yeah, the variable responses that Neo could have given all around behind yes. him. Yeah. I think the way to look at it, uh, which makes the most sense to me, is he's a computer program. He's speaking yeah. in ones and zeros, you know, for the most part. You're not going to understand it. Right? It's super technical. It's super matter of the fact. It might take you some time to catch up to it to really figure it out. And and for that, it does work. But I don't know that we needed a fucking six-minute scene of it. But it gave but us it, that brilliant Will Ferrell sketch, so... Well, great. <laughs> <laughs> that is also a factor, like, this whole movie, I think, is even more going into, like, all these people are interacting like their computer programs. Like, I do love... Um, I forgot which one is the one that's basically a password, like, login screen that Neo has to encounter. Seraph? Seraph, yeah, yes. Seraph. Seraph. I love yeah. that element of it, where it's just like, oh, you have to basically fight me in the specific code in order to get to the Oracle. Like, I love elements like that, where it's just like, oh, there's a direct parallel between what a computer program would be versus, like, how these humans are interacting. That was supposed to be Jet Li, by the way. Right, and he was like, nope, too yep. much money. Yep. I mean, and this yep. also had a weird torture process, too, where even, like, one character was supposed to be uh, Aaliyah, and she, like, shot right. most of her footage. Yeah. Uh, Link, Link's wife. Link's wife, Yeah. Right, yeah, was supposed to be Ilya, and then she, like, passed away after she shot a lot of her footage. Uh, Z is the character yeah. played by uh, Noah Gay. And even just, like, some of the other random people, like you mentioned Cornell West earlier, Rafe, that, like, he is a part of the council, which I do I love, love just... 
Which I, I even do love the fact that just like the council is here, just basically is like a traditional stock science fiction fantasy trope of just like, oh, we have the council here, and they're saying that we don't trust Morpheus's bullshit, and all this other stuff that's just like, even within the concept of the Matrix, we're like, we're outside of the universe that was faked this whole time, we still have to go by old bullshit standards, like we have to have a council <laughs> who has to judge all this bullshit. <laughs> Well, and I love that Cornell West is part of the council who does believe in Morpheus's bullshit and doesn't want to put up with Commander Locke's bullshit. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's the thing is where I would say this one is at least a bit better than Revolutions because we are dealing at least with more interesting concepts that are daring. And I think we have, it's one of those movies where definitely there are parts of it that I love so much. We didn't even mention this one scene, but the whole fight scene that takes place at the Merovingians, like, lounge. I love that. Yeah, like, I we're... Well, with a uh, shout Tiger Chen of the man of Tai Chi that uh, Keanu Reeves would later do. Um, so, like, that's a really stellar action set piece. But I think there's a lot of great moments and elements to this movie that at least make it interesting to me, if not wholly successful. You you brought up the video game tutorial stage earlier when we were talking about the Matrix. The 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 Chateau fight reminds me of a video game strategy because Neo is constantly jumping up to the stairs and they have to come up and hunt him and then he jumps down to the floor and it's like his key way of deterring himself from having too many enemies around him. And I'm like, I totally do that in video games. Yes, 100%, yes. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead, I guess, and get into our third entry with uh, the Matrix bum, bum, bum. Revolutions. <laughs> because Matrix Reloaded actually ends on a bum 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 moment. That's true, yes, <laughs> to be concluded. But the music is almost literally bum bum bum. Right, yes, on a character that we were vaguely... Re- oh yeah, that guy. Right, I yeah. remember that guy. <laughs> but yeah, the Matrix Revolutions uh, came out November 5th, 2003, so just a few months later... Um, and was not as even warmly received as Reloaded, because interesting to point out, Reloaded made $739 million at the box office, much more even than the 466 of the first movie. Uh, then Revolutions, 427. So, <laughs> steep box office uh, drop on that. Um, now, Rafe, what about this one? Do you think uh, this one is as successful even as a Reloaded, or do you have more problems with this one? I like Reloaded more than Revolutions. I, I, I love Revolutions, but I, I think Reloaded is, as far as the world building and continuing it on, I, I like that one better than this. And I, I think part of that is because we are in the Matrix less in each sub- subsequent movie. And we're in the real world more in each subsequent movie. The battle for Zion and stuff that really works for me here. I love the direction the story goes. Now, it does leave behind a lot of the philosophical ideas that it had in the first two films in favor of really, really pushing that Messiah storyline for The Chosen One, which is, I think, also a reason why... I like Reloaded more because Reloaded is busy deconstructing what it means to be a chosen one, whereas this one is really amplifying it back up. I love all three of them, so maybe I'm not the best critic. <laughs> I would equate basically these two movies in a similar way to um, the Gore Verbinski-directed pirate sequels, where I think there's a lot of cool ideas and elements in both of them that I think make them not completely awful movies. And I think you see that with like the other pirate sequels after those two. They're just like completely devoid of anything interesting. He just wanted to give Johnny Depp a paycheck. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I think that's the thing. I think both of these movies have a similar vibe where it's just like, I like a lot of the elements introduced, but at the same time, it it feels like it's just not very well told as a story overall. I think Revolutions suffers even more from that compared to Reloaded. 
because Revolutions is so much more just like, hey, here's two storylines. Here's the giant battle with all the fucking Sentinels, and then here's Neo trying to basically defeat the big baby. That's that's all there really is in this fucking movie. Yeah, he's yeah. not trying to defeat the big baby. He's working with the big baby. Well, that's true. He's trying to do a compromise <laughs> with the big baby. <laughs> I love that uh, visual personally. <laughs> this movie, such a clusterfuck of a bore fest for me. We were talking about the kid in the second one. The kid in this one is is it's almost unbearable. Uh, because you had to like him in the second one in order to feel the threat of him in the third one. No, I hated him in the second one. Right. That's what I'm saying is because he wasn't effective in the second one, he doesn't work in the third one. How many times are we going to see this fucking guy drop ammo? (laughs) The train man? Come on. Like, I understand why they had to recast the Oracle. I get it. The the original actress passed away. That's terrible. She passed away. I get it. But the recasting just don't have the character. Because now we get 10 minutes of explanation why it's a different looking person. And now we got to get this. And now we got to get that. It's just, there's so much expository bullshit to try to explain what happened in the second movie in this one. To me, there's just too much of trying to explain what has already come before now in this one. And it, it runs way too long. The big baby thing. Like, what the fuck? One thing I will say about this movie. If you can punch a motherfucker so hard that the rain stops, <laughs> really laid into that motherfucker. <laughs> like, like, but again, how much Agent Smith do we like? Just too much. This movie to me feels like not only cleanup from the first two, but also we really got to try to wrap it up. We really need to put a button on this because there's no way they thought there was going to be a fourth. No, well, I mean, it feels to me like the natural progression. We had the uh, machine assault threat introduced in the second one, so it has to come to completion in the third one. The fight with Smith reintroduced in the second one has to come to completion in the third one. I I don't think there's any padding here. I don't think there's any having to wrap it up. It feels like those two movies, and I kind of agree with what you said about The Matrix. I don't think this was written as a trilogy. I think this was written as one movie that was open-ended, and then now we write two others that go together. I mean, the train man is the only thing that really feels like it's introducing something new. And that's, again, back to the philosophy side of things. Krishna-type element that's added into this. I don't think the first one was left open-ended. The phone call at the end isn't open-ended? I I don't think so. I I really don't. I think he made the phone call. He acknowledged he's the one. Things are going to change. He doesn't know how they're going to, but they're going to change. He flies off. You get it. It's done. Neil's going to deconstruct the Matrix. I think it leaves a door ajar for, like, more, but I think it also works as a satisfying ending, I think, on its own. I I would agree with that. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. The third one feels like a hollow ending to a great first movie, a second one that subpar, but maybe had some good ideas, and the third one's like, oh, now we gotta answer all this shit. This one feels more at least uneven to me, because I think all this stuff with, like, the big Sentinel fight, there's, like, some fun, interesting, like, visual stuff that I find kind of interesting, but much more of my interest is with stuff like Sati. I love the idea of Sati, who's this just program that was created with no specific purpose, just like, no, we wanted to create a child. We wanted to do that in the middle of the Matrix. I agree. I love that idea, and I love even the fact that like they're trying to negotiate that with the train man character. Shout out to Bruce Spence 
of right. um, the Mad Max movies and also who was in a bunch of big movies in 2003 because he's one of the sharks in Finding Nemo. He's in this movie. Right. He w- and he was going to be in Return to the King and he's in the extended version of it. And, and he alone is enough reason to have the train man in this movie, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I do kind of like how wily he looks just like, oh, you shouldn't be here. You need to get out of here. One of many Australian character actors that shows up in these movies because they were shot in Australia. <laughs> right. I, I personally love that scene with, with Sati's parents. The whole concept of, you know, what, what are these things? They're words. It's not the word. It's what we, the, the attachment we attach to those words. And that's, again, that's a very strong philosophical thing that I've, I've followed a lot of my life. Um, you know, that that I, I loved seeing brought onto the screen for more people to consider. Apparently less people than Matrix Reloaded would have had if that scene had been in it. But uh. No, I think that's the thing is, as I've gotten older, like whenever we watch this movie, I've flipped to where when I was younger, I liked the Sentinel fight stuff more. Because it was like, oh, it's kind of cool, badass action. Now it feels monotonous. As opposed to the philosophical stuff is in the Neo element of it with like Sati. And even when we do get to the big baby and they have that confrontation about just like, I don't know, Agent Smith's fucking things up. The enemy of the enemy is my friend, my man. Why don't we just right. like make things fucking work out here? But you, you know, a little bit of comedy, a little comedy, we can make this work. I think that stuff is far more interesting than just monotonous sentinel shoot scenes with like the mechs it's, which look cool but are just like it gets to be too uh, much after a while it is a little excessive i'll give you that yeah it's it's, it's 25 to 30 minutes of they're gonna break through the wall at any time yeah oh they're gonna break through the wall uh, uh the next five minutes they're gonna break through the wall oh they broke through the wall let's shoot at them for 40 minutes <laughs> right they were just missing a whole the line <laughs> you know they're just buying time so you're right it absolutely should that that's all it is Kid, you're with me. Pick up the ammo. Kid, you're with me. Pick up the ammo. Kid, you're with me. Neo would do it. No, Neo! But then again, my biggest problem with this movie really is just like, Lawrence Fishburne was clearly tired after Reloaded. He was so tired and now he just is just like, I'm gonna hug Keanu and then I'm gonna sit next to Jada this whole fucking movie. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing. What is craft services today? <laughs> I feel like that's proper for his character because his character, as we said, religious zealot really believed in the one. And the way the second movie ends is that his faith in the one has been, I mean, everything he believed in and his ship on top of that have been destroyed. This is a man who has nothing anymore. Yeah. I mean, I can agree with that, but in the first movie and even the second movie, you saw examples of him really fighting tooth and nail to protect that idea and to really sort of put himself on the forefront to make that work. And this one, it, it, it does come across just lazy to where it's all politicking and things like that. And like, I, eh. well, I don't know. Politicking would at least be more interesting than just like, I agree that like, it's sad that he has nothing and I wouldn't have minded if that was there for a bit, but also I don't think it just Lawrence Fisher doesn't have anything to fucking do. Yeah. <laughs> He's just sitting nothing. there doing nothing. <laughs> Dude, he's the second main character of the franchise. Right. Mm-hmm. But they might as well have killed him in Reloaded because you're right. He really doesn't have anything to do here. They give him nothing. Right. They give him nothing. Though, shout out also, we didn't mention this Reloaded, but I do love the thing where it's just like, the thing I love is gone, the ship explode. I do love Once that. Once I dreamed a dream, but now that dream is dead to me. Yes, exactly. It's hard to read a story about, you know, a Christ allegory. Let's just boil it down to that. It's hard to read a story about. Christ without his apostles really believing in him. And this one, they take away the apostles. Really, he should have just been like the role that Mufune has in this movie. 
that like he yeah. he should yes. really just be like on the front like maybe he could be like on the sevens like I have nothing to believe in and either the kid or some of these other people believe in him enough to get him to be like yeah. fuck it I'm getting in a mech and I'm going out there right right yeah, yeah. I can't argue against that as much as I love this movie I I, I cannot argue against that at all you're right yeah though shout out to um the Mufune's actor um Nathaniel Lee's. I love how even though it's he's referencing stuff that I barely recognize of just like I didn't finish the program either. I love his fucking facial expressions where he's just like he's been cut up like he's in fucking Event Horizon. <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> let's get this, this going kid. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's uh yeah, he's pretty great. I he he works as sort of this tired I guess you want to call him like a, a general almost like a general patent type of idea where he's been through all this so many times and it's just almost like uh, muscle memory for him at this point. And I do like the idea that he, you know, he finds the kid and he sort of gets recharged to that. And he wants to help this kid out too, because of their mutual beliefs. It's just, it's so little, like too late for me. Like the, Hey, the kid we've discussed is terrible. Yeah. The act it's terrible. And you don't, for one second, believe that this hard-nosed fucking general would see this little rat fucking bastard and be like, you're with me. Yeah, let's do it together, you clumsy fuck. Like, it's just, it it doesn't work for me. I, I think one of the things I love about this movie as a conclusion is, as I said, part of what the second movie does that I, I really enjoy is that it, it deconstructs the chosen one, that he's he's not necessarily special. He's special in that, yes, he has powers that other people don't have, but that itself is part of the matrix, is part of the simulation. And when the we, we get to the resolution, the war between the machine and humans is over. But what does that mean? I mean, we really don't get a good sense of what that means or how long. I mean, they even that final conversation between the Oracle and the architect basically says, this isn't going to last. How long will this last? You know, how do you suddenly decide, hey, Thomas, uh, by the way, this isn't real. You're not really doing a podcast. You're in a pod somewhere being used as a fuel source. Are you OK with that or do you want to be unplugged? You know, it's like it's 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 so bizarre. No, I'm good. All the strength. It's like so good. I'm good. I, in the franchise, but it's 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 almost as nihilistic an ending as the rest of the cycle. That feels satisfying. Like if they had suddenly been like, "Yes, we're going to free all the humans and we'll all live in harmony," it would have been like, "This is a bullshit trilogy." But I kind of like the so fact I, that it ends with this weird, like, "What's going to happen?" And then they left the franchise. They didn't do another movie. And I loved that. Yeah, they did continue the story on in the MMO, apparently. I guess the big problem with that, like you're saying it's a, it's a worthy conclusion. It is what it is. You're glad they ended it, dude. But doesn't that not cheapen it for you that there's a fourth one coming? No. Because it's been so long. And based, on, mean, uh, and, and based on what I'm seeing in the trailers, it feels like they are going to be doing a lot of callbacks to the original with a different spin on it. And I love that idea also because it's another cycle because it means the cycle has continued, has started over again and there's a new, the one, whether it's Neo or somebody else. Right. And I want, I do want to put a pin in discussions of the fourth movie to like after, because I want to keep doing some stuff with revolutions. 
Um, but like, I do agree that I think I like the idea, especially it's one of those things where I had to rewatch this movie several times to get some <laughs> of these ideas you're talking about. Cause it's a bit dense, but I do agree. I like the idea that at the end of this, it isn't like a totally clear out like, right. Oh, Hey, everything's going to be totally fine. This is a truce that'll probably yeah. be brief if anything else. That's the thing. That's why I like a lot of the stuff where even like, like even agent Smith in this, in these movies, is just more of like, Oh, he's just uh, a pop-up screen. Like, he's just, like, a bunch of porn ads that are, like, <laughs> clogging up the Matrix at this point, And it just completely disappeared, like, any other person. It's just, like, everyone's become a porn ad in, in the Matrix. Agent Smith is the MILF hunter. <laughs> oh, God. Are you looking for a good time? <laughs> Click here to find more. Porn viewer, welcome back. We've missed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If no, you that... want to come in 30 seconds, click this ad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what I like, basically. It's just that, like, he's trying to be a virus deprogrammer. He's Neo weirdly has become the same guy that he was in The Matrix. Of just like, hey, I can clear this out for you, buddy, if you'd, like, give me a bit of my leeway with it, you know. And I, I like that idea that it's all this boils down to just, like, let's have a truce here and get rid of a nuisance that I can help you get rid of. He's no better than, like, an Agent Smith, ultimately, by the end of that. He just kind of become an Agent Smith to, like, clear out for, like, his own means. Like, that's that's what I find so interesting about even that final battle, even though it has more of, like, the Shrek CG bullshit than that is huge on. At the same time, there's still pretty fun bits. Like, I think Hugo Weaving, even more so than Reloaded, is so fucking fun during, yes, like, the finale of this. Like, when he ends up taking over the Oracle and he just laughs maniacally. Or later on when he takes over Neo, it's just like, oh, that's it. Is it over? And then just to find out, like, oh, no, it's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> now, let me ask you, they did create a, a video game Path of Neo after this. Adam, did you play that one? I did not. Okay. So that one, instead of fighting the, the ultimate fight between Neo and Smith, instead, it's like a 90-foot-tall Smith. And there are people who went, I wish they had done that instead. And there was even rumors that the Wachowskis wished they had done that instead. Well, and there's even, like, there's some bit, I saw this clip that's, like, weird, like, pixelated versions of, like, Avatars for the Wachowskis, like, stop the game and come in and just say, like, look, the ending that we did in the Matrix Revolutions wouldn't work in a video game. It wouldn't be that satisfying to you. So we're right. going to do this, where he's like, hi, Joe. <laughs> do you I'm, have fun with I'm glad that's not what we got in the movie, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, I, I concur with that. Yeah, I, I, I prefer... This very weird existential, and shout out to um, Kevin Michael Richardson doing the voice of the giant baby face, um, which I even love. Just like, hmm, what's the idea of like all these sent sentinels come together to Voltron a baby face? Well, and they even call it Deus Ex Machina. Yes, that they even call it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the same time, you, you made the comment about him being a Smith debugger. At the same time, the feeling I always got from it was that Smith was. A, a bigger threat to the machines. Like if he could take over a human and that human exits the matrix back in back into their human form, what is stopping him from taking over the entire machine network? Mm -hmm. That's they needed Neo to be the one to clean him up. Right. But I, I like, that's another interesting way of like examining the idea of the one being just corruptible in a way that like right. services the machines at the same time. Um, also, we haven't talked much about Trinity in this movie. Um, Cause she's a chauffeur. Like, she's Neo's chauffeur, basically, in no. the movie. Okay, she's... maybe I need to go back about an hour and take back what I said about her, you know, 
being a solid character throughout the trilogy because you're right she's she's yeah she's she she decreases with each film no yeah she's she's sure i think carrie ann's trying but she is basically just kind of like being a chauffeur and the bane character who we didn't really talk about that much in reloaded i'm not a, necessarily a huge fan of that thing because like in reloaded they have like the vague thing of like oh he's going to be involved he's going to be involved and then the, the final shot she's like oh my god to be continued what's going to happen with this guy and then later they spend so much time waiting to get to the final thing of like everyone realizing oh yeah he's agent smith yeah like they really great, draw that out but it's a great agent smith impression i love it no it's it's not a bad impression i'm not denying that but it's just like i wish adam, we'd gotten to adam this like glared at me both times i've said that <laughs> yes no i no, i don't no i don't think it's a bad impression but if that's all we're basing on that he did a good impression of hugo weaving then that's a pretty fucking hollow thing. Like, great, he did a good impression of Hugo Weaving. So does fucking Ross Marquand, who did him for Red Skull. <laughs> right, like, yes. <laughs> like, doesn't make it good. Like, it's, it's, there it is. And even also, like, we, this was a while ago, we mentioned about Mary Alice had to replace Gloria Foster as the Oracle right. part. I don't think she's necessarily bad in that part. My bigger problem with the Oracle thing, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, because of this tragedy, just get rid of um, that character. My thing is just, like, with the Wachowskis, one of the recurring things I love is the element of, like, oh, yeah, the transcendentalness of just, like, kind of going from one form to another. People exist. Just have it be a totally different-looking character than just, like, another different black lady. Like, have it be... Right. Have it be just, like, I don't know, a a burly dude. Have it be uh, fucking... I don't know, uh, Danny Aiello. Or Lucy Liu, just somebody completely different. Danny Aiello? (laughs) It was a random pick. <laughs> You'd have been handed out autographed pizza places. <laughs> Look, I'm the Oracle now. When you want some cookies, I make good cookies. <laughs> see Jacob's ladder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of the part of the reason they got Mary Alice is because uh, Gloria Foster and Mary Alice had worked together in a show where they were right. sisters, and they they remembered that, and so that was part of the impetus was that they had they the two of them had had a relationship. So part of it was paying tribute to Gloria Foster by casting right. someone who she actually was friends sure, with. That, and that's very sweet. That's nice, and I get that. But you know, it's one of those. I think Thomas, you were onto something there. It's one of those things where the opportunity, if you really got to want to get weird with it and make it a repeating sort of glitch in the matrix or that it could be anybody, then that would have been the time to really make it weird and go crazy with it and make it be fucking Tommy, tiny Zeus Lister. Right. Or, you know, <laughs> like that. That's the best really choice. <laughs> Oh, that's always the I, I get behind that one a lot more than Danny Aiello. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, really go weird with it, man. I, and they tried to get really technical with a lot of it, and I think they missed out on doing a lot of the more just what the fuck is going on moments. They tried to explain too much to you and let instead of letting you try to figure it out yourself. Right. Right, and even then, it's so dense at the same time that you have to kind of watch it a yeah. couple times <laughs> to get yeah. a bit further. Yeah, no, I yeah, absolutely. I still don't know what the fuck the Merovingian is going on about half the time, <laughs> <laughs> and why all of a sudden Seraph is the Oracle's bodyguard and he has to fight Neo. Like, uh, huh? <laughs> like, okay, right? Yeah, like, Kung Fu. Like, that's just, it is what it is. Well, let's kind of, we teased this a bit earlier that just uh, as we kind of get into the end of this, talk a bit more about 
with the Matrix Resurrections um, coming out, something we didn't expect, something curious. Rafe, you were kind of mentioning that you're not as bothered by them continuing the story at this point because it feels like the cycle has re invented itself so go yeah. expand about that a bit further about like why you think what you your hopes are for well i mean we we learned in the second movie that all of this is a cycle that repeats every x number of years and i would love the idea of this being kind of the next cycle and neo is brought back in i don't know how neo is in the matrix he dies in the movie so i don't understand or maybe he's on the machine side now who knows and and based on the comments you just made a couple minutes ago my total guess is that neil patrick harris is the new oracle but um <laughs> i mean you've the, the way they've advertised it is using a lot of footage from the original movies um, and then kind of showing it with a slight twist. So I think we're going to see a lot of callbacks to stuff that happened, particularly in the first Matrix, but then see a different twist on it as the story goes in a slightly skewed direction, which I love that idea. I will point out the most recent trailer to hit did have a shot of the Merovingian in it, too. Right, I know that he's coming back, a lot of people. Is he? See, I didn't know that for sure, so cool. Yeah, he definitely is. Base in mind that with your theory that it's the cycle repeating. Trinity was not part of a computer program. She was a real person. Right. So why is she there? But if it's a cycle repeating, why is it Keanu Reeves but 20 years older? Yeah. I honestly think that it's the same Neo in the Matrix program, that somehow he's in the program and he's starting to wake up and remember things that that were there. And he's starting to come back in terms to what what happened already before. I think Trinity is going to be a computer program to keep him happy. Possible. I'm not against a new Matrix movie. I'm totally down for it. Like, fine. If we're going to do it, let's let's just go balls to the wall. But I think it's going to be too nostalgia baby. Which I'm okay with. <laughs> that's and that's fine. That's fine. A lot of people are. Uh, it's just. I'm definitely one of those, like, I, and I know it sounds crazy, but I almost equate the Matrix to, like, a Ghostbusters, to where I love the first Matrix. I love the first Ghostbusters. To me, there's not enough there to keep a franchise going. I think it should have just been a one-and-done thing. Well, I'm going to counter at least the nostalgia baby thing by saying that, like, I don't think the Wachowskis, in this case just Lana, would be more inclined to be nostalgic baby and set rest on old laurels. Based on like what the stuff they've done post the Matrix sequels is indicated, is that they are filmmakers who don't really like to just rest on old laurels. And I think what will be fascinating is, I think this movie is definitely going to tease some of these elements that feel like kind of like they could be nostalgia baby, but this is all just stuff that's going to be completely deconstructed with the ultimate movie. Cause you can say this much like with those, the, like you made the ghostbusters comparison, like the problem with the ghostbusters, like follow-ups I would argue is more that like, Oh, they're kind of trying to repeat the old formula versus these two sequels that came after the matrix do not repeat the old formula by any stretch. <laughs> but, but does it, but does it not give you pause that only one of them is doing it? Why wouldn't the other one be involved? I've heard some things where Lily has said in interviews she didn't want to come back to it because she didn't want to personally go back and didn't feel like she had as much to say versus Lana did. And I okay. I don't necessarily think that means Lana is going to be like the uncreative steward. Because it's just untold territory. Because aside from, I think, right. the only thing the two of them haven't collaborated on is like Lily has her show that's on Showtime. And then Lana has had um, the second season of... Uh, since eight in a movie 
is like has yeah. been hurt because Lily kind of left after like the development phases of that. So this is just this is the first like big movie where they haven't collaborated on. That's if anything why I'm the most fascinated by this really. It's just seeing one of them come back to this. I think makes me more curious as to like what is this one of these two creatives have to say about this and how is this going to show off a bit more. It could go disastrously bad or it could be fascinating. I just think it's like more in a middle in between phase. But regardless, I don't feel like. Lana is gonna just do like remember the Matrix as much as like yeah you remember the Matrix to this degree well guess what uh, everything's fucked because you're just remembering the Matrix I could see being a complete I, deconstruction of nostalgia baby shit yeah I, I really do hope you're right I'm erring on the opposite side but I hope you're right because I haven't seen anything in the trailers that has really like blown me away yet but I'm also not a huge fan like like fucking Rafe here with his you guys can't see where I'm. He's wearing a Matrix onesie. Um, um, <laughs> Just all code. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> goes goes really Down. well against all my uh, folded skin, don't you think? He's got a big one hanging out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I hope it's good, man. I, I, like, I always hope a movie succeeds. I always hope it's something good. To go back to the Ghostbusters sort of analogy, I knew watching the Ghostbusters trailer, the new one, like I had no excitement for it. At least the Matrix one, I'm curious. Like it could be something cool. Let's see. I'm more excited to see what they're doing, especially with the recasting Morpheus, because I love that actor. I like Jessica Henwick. It's cool to see Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss back together. So, I mean, we'll see. It could be something great. Or it could shit the bed. I don't see it being just, it was okay. Is it going to be awesome or shit the bed? Yeah. Especially even with just the fact that like the collaborators that Lana's bringing in on this are like, oh, hey, the co-writer is, I believe, the person who wrote Cloud Atlas. Yes. Right. Oh and, and stuff like that. So that's, at the very least, like I don't think it's going to be um, a full-on nostalgia cash grab. Because I don't think they would be interested in coming back. Even, even I don't think Keanu would be interested in coming back to that franchise if it was just that. No, and that's and that was as I said in my, my college thesis. The, the sequels weren't cash grab, you know. Yeah, we've seen Bill and Ted face the music, right? I have not watched it yet. No, I don't think that. Views. I mean, no, I, I He's don't. He's more to come back for a cash grab performance, like no, but I mean specifically with the Matrix. He said as much as like I would not come back if the none if none of the Wachowskis were coming back to it, and I don't think the Wachowskis would come back to it if it was going to be super nostalgia-baity. But we're kind of repeating ourselves. I think it's time we kind of wrap things up here a bit. Um, keep in mind that we will be covering The Matrix Resurrections for On the Age of Relevance, where we'll cover it yeah. shortly after it comes out on the 22nd. Also want to make sure as we get out of here to thank all of our patrons. Thank you for your $1 or more. Some of you contribute more. We appreciate any amount that you contribute really helps out, including those like Rafe, which uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks Absolutely. for giving that dollar. And uh, you know, everybody listen to Have Not See This and all your other stuff. But plug yourself a bit. Yeah, podcast is, uh, have not seen this on a little hiatus right now because I have a lot of other stuff going on, but two episodes in particular that are worth going back and listening to. Uh, we have covered The Matrix as a movie before with a really fascinating guest, and then it's already been mentioned on this episode, but Adam's uh, first appearance on it where we talked about Dark City, because it is so closely related to The Matrix, we did touch on some Matrix stuff there as well. But both Adam and Thomas have been on several times, uh, but those are two specific episodes that would be worth checking out with uh, The Matrix Resurrections right around the corner. Doing a new podcast called Never Say Die, which is half looking at a movie and half talking about how we would use ideas from that movie uh, to create role-playing game sessions. So 
That's so cool. What a cool idea. It's a lot of fun. Hey, man, my, my Spotify rewrap, I don't know if you saw it, you fuck, but you're my second most listened to podcast of 2021. I and didn't I'm, see that, but thank you. Fantastic. I'm going to delete the tweet now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so look forward, like we mentioned, to the uh, On the Edge Relevance for The Matrix Resurrections, as well as we'll be doing two more before the end of the year for Nightmare Alley and uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. If we right. get fucking tickets. That's true. We'll have to get them scalped from eBay, apparently, for yeah. hundreds of dollars, yeah. which is such bullshit. <laughs> Just like, it's so fucking stupid. Um, wait three days, you'll get a fucking ticket. <laughs> Just wait. Um, and then look forward to uh, next month, where the monthly podcast will be doing, we'll be doing another top ten list. And this time, Adam and I are doing our top ten film scores. Yes. Very excited for that. Yes. We'll be uh, counting those down. Very curious to see uh, what ends up on whose list. It'll be very fascinating to listen to. But on that note, uh, everyone, just uh, remember to crank up your Rage Against the Machine because it's the one time you can do that now because the Matrix is cool again. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Calm like a bomb. <laughs> Thomas. You seem particularly triggered right now. I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? Time to fly. If you want the truth, Nia. You're going to have to fly me. The only thing that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No? all these years to be going back to where it all started back to the matrix welcome edgelords back to on the edge of relevance the show where we cover new releases the last one of 2021 and i've used some old code to resurrect one of our co-hosts who was not here last time mr adam thomas adam welcome back to the matrix thanks uh good to be back happens i love the color green so this is perfect um and just i'm really excited to be here yes adam i was curious because we left things a bit on a cliffhanger i briefly mentioned that you had a bit of a covid scare but everything's fine for you right nothing bad everything checked out i'm good um everything checked out i am super oh i was gonna say super positive but that's the wrong uh, wrong turn of phrase. But everything's good. I am good to go. Super negative. Mr. Negative himself. It's so negative. <laughs> so negative. It's good because you were out. Ryan Quarterman ended up being the first guest we had on On the Edge Relevance. But this is the first time we've had a three for discussion because uh, if you're Patreon fans out there, Edgelords, you would recognize one of your own did a discussion with us pre this movie coming out about the first three films in the franchise. The host of Have Not Seen This, Mr. 
Rafe Telsch. Rafe, welcome to On the Edge of Relevance. How prestigious of you to be on for this momentous occasion. I'm honored. What can I say? But whoa. Well, indeed. So in case you all didn't hear last time, um, we all are varying fans of the Matrix franchise. If you listen to that hour, 40 minute long discussion for a (laughs) lengthy um, backstory on this. But I think it is suffice to say at least that Rafe, of all of us, you are more of a fan of the original trilogy, including the sequels. Than many are. Yeah, that's the that's the vibe I got out of our conversation. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so I was very curious about your thoughts on the Matrix Resurrections from just Lana Wachowski, no Lily involved. Uh, after so many years, we've returned back to the Matrix, and keep in mind we'll do non-spoilery thoughts here initially, as we usually do, and we'll have a demarcation point for spoilers. So without spoiling too much, even though this movie heavily depends on spoiling the shit out of it, I think, for a lot of what we'll talk about. Uh, generally, were you a fan of The Matrix Resurrections, Reef? I am not. I'm I'm seriously disappointed in this film. Uh, to me, it does not feel like it belongs in the Matrix series of, of movies. Like, there's, there's a lot good. It's a good movie, but it is not The Matrix to me. Okay. Now, I want to turn to Adam, because Adam... Oh. You had the most problems with the sequels, and you love the original movie, but you had the most problems with the sequels, and you were sure. the most, I would say, pessimistic about The Matrix Resurrections, because oh, yeah. you were just like, oh, it's just going to yeah. train on nostalgia, it's going to do all this other stuff, and coming out of the movie, what did you think of The Matrix Resurrections, generally, without spoiling things? Well, I expected it to fucking suck, like, really fucking suck butt, and, you know, I, like I said, I was concerned about, you know, nostalgia baity and all that stuff, and I will say that is in this movie, but the way it's done is mwah, 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 caliente. Muy, muy, muy. Give me more, give me more, give me more. I fucking love this movie. I think it is exactly the uh, best follow up to the original. Uh, I think the others sort of almost pale in comparison to this. I think it's such a ballsy way to continue this franchise, and I was on board pretty much right away. So we have differing opinions on this particular episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, well it, it, it would be cliche of me to be just like, guys, I'm right in the middle of you. I don't know. But I'm honestly way more on the Adam side. I love this movie. I agree with what you're talking about in terms of it doesn't feel necessarily like it's part of the Matrix series. But I also feel like it's very much Lana literally intimated in the early on in the movie. She was told, hey... We're going to make another Matrix movie in Warner Brothers no matter what. We're going to do this with or without you. What do you want to do? And instead of, like, really going back to that, because she clearly had everything she needed to say about, like, that story of The Matrix with those first three movies, this feels less like a movie in The Matrix series and more like a lengthy essay from Lana Wachowski about how, like, I don't necessarily want to go back to The Matrix. If I did, here are some cool things. If I did, I would also see a lot of these sort of bad things that Legacy sequels have done recently. And then by the end of it, she's like, but Neo and Trinity are really fucking cool, right? And I'm like, you know what? All three of those points, I concur with Lana, yes. All those three points are great. This movie's awesome. And it's basically like the Gremlins 2 or Airplane of big blockbuster franchises <laughs> in that it completely <laughs> destroys all of them. And I don't want any more bullshit. I'm so happy about this movie being a giant $100 million middle finger. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with a thing you said there. I mean, that's 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 the weird thing about this movie is I, I can't disagree with a single thing you said there. But from from my background, we talked about it 
in the uh, um, on our previous discussion of the Matrix films, you know, I, I wrote a thesis in college about the sequels, justifying them from a philosophical standpoint, saying these movies were not just Hollywood cash grabs. They they continued on the themes and the ideas that were laid down in the Matrix. And then 20 years later, we're getting the Matrix Resurrections, and it's like, no, this is a Hollywood cash grab. As you said, Lana basically flat out admits early on in the film, yeah, they were going to do this with or without me, so what the hell? Yeah, but I wouldn't say that's a cash grab necessarily. I would say that's her put into a box of like, look, we could either have like, there was literally a Zach Penn announced like young Morpheus movie. We could have had that. We could have had that, and we could have had, like, all sorts of background about, oh, this is Morpheus and how he came up. Or, you know, we could have this cool fuck you movie, and I vastly prefer that so much. Yeah, and I, I as I said, I can't, I mean, it, it does feel like a fuck you, but as a fan, it feels like a fuck you to me, too. That's that's what hurt hurt me. Like, the, the two things, when I think of The Matrix, the two things that I think of is the philosophical side and the kung fu. And I feel like this movie is completely devoid of the philosophical side, although you you and I kind of had a little discussion about it. It is almost postmodern in how it attempts to tell the audience this kind of movie sucks that we're making. Like, it almost tries to undermine itself in a kind of a postmodern way. But the, otherwise, the, the philosophy is just absent. It's just not in this film. And I feel like the kung fu wasn't anywhere near as impressive as the other movies because the cinematography was different and it was the more contemporary cinematography where let's make edits instead of just letting the audience appreciate the showmanship of what's been put together here. Right. I would argue I think both of those things are very intentional in terms of because this is a movie basically deconstructing the 20 plus years since The Matrix came out. I think she is very much commenting on, like, that's completely absent at this point. Any of the philosophy, I had everything I had to say, and other people have tried to say and failed so spectacularly at, that, like, it's devoid here. And also that I think the opening and the closing action sequence are pretty fun, but everything in the middle, I agree, is much lesser. Though at the same time, I feel it's very purposeful of, like, yeah, this isn't fucking fulfilling anymore, is it? We're doing the same bullshit. Guess what? We shouldn't be. <laughs> we shouldn't be here doing this. We know this is not something we should be doing. I don't know, Adam, you haven't spoken in a bit. Do you generally agree more on that sentiment with it, with some of these complaints? Yes and no. I, I do agree where it doesn't feel as like heavily philosophical as the, you know, the original three. I still think there's sort of a modern philosophy at play here. Um, and also the stuff with the Kung Fu, I actually kind of like it that Neo isn't like constantly kung fu and the shit out of guys and everything like that because even in context of the story if you want to go with that route he's forgotten what it is to be neo and he's solely resigning on just like his powers and able to manipulate things not necessarily the kung fu fighting the gunplay any of that he still can somehow remember how to do these things but not sort of to the expert level that he was at one point it's like old code still trying to like it's like you're still running windows 98 You know what I mean? I mean, it still works. (laughs) It's still decent, but it's glitchy. But like down to the fact that we have, this is the opening scene, so it's not really spoiling. We have people watching the original scene from the first movie from a separate context. One of the characters being Bugs, played by Jessica Henwick, who is very much based on like a Bugs Bunny type character. She literally takes the wrong turn at Albuquerque and shows up in the fucking Matrix. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) This movie immediately gives you that from the start. Like, oh, this is not... We're not doing the same old bullshit. We're looking at that same old bullshit. We're like, huh, should we be doing this? Why are we doing this? Why simulate what they say that? It's just like, why use old code to mirror something that already happened in the first place? It's a movie that's very postmodern. And I think that philosophy 
really works throughout the whole thing. While at the same time, I still think there's a heart to this movie with particularly Neo and Trinity that I love so much in terms of like, oh, it's really about like these two people realizing that what the one really means. And that's what I'll say for now in non-spoiler terms. That the definition of what the one chosen one narrative is completely different from what we had before in a really beautiful, honest way that I was like floored by by the end of this movie. But um, you know what? We're, we're dancing around some things. Let's do it. This <laughs> yeah. is the demarcation point for spoilers starting now. So, Rafe, where did the movie like just really lose you? Was it from the beginning or was there a certain specific point where it didn't get you back on the bandwagon? Narratively, I liked the opening of the film. Uh, oddly, and I, I suspect both of you guys are just going to lambast me for this, but what the hell, in for a penny, in for a pound. Narratively, it, it was Morpheus. It was the the depiction, this, this very different depiction, and yet trying to tongue-in-cheek be the original of, of Morpheus from Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Uh, like... It's nothing against the actor, but he didn't fit the role, and 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 they kind of try and and tongue and cheek it, and, and it just didn't work for me. Jada Pinkett Smith was also quite terrible in this, by the way. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's the depiction of Morpheus when he not when he first appears, but when he is like really I'm Morpheus and here I am, like that. It just it just didn't work for me. Well, I think it's a movie that very much knows that like okay. Morpheus and Agent Smith, which that character is kind of an amalgamation of, based on what his initial role was. We really know that like you guys would want to see both these people here, but we don't really have a role for either of them individually. So morphing them together and making it, oh, this is not Morpheus, this is not Agent Smith, this is a program created within the Matrix by Neo for this video right. game. So thus, this is an amalgamation. This is already inherently like a bastardization to some degree of that character. And I think Yahan Abdul-Mateen II does a really good job of combining those traits. And I think making it more of just like, hey, I, you know, the callback and all this other stuff. I agree that it's, it's like tongue in cheek, but in a way that like I thought totally worked because like the other alternative is having Fishburne and Agent Smith back and they could easily just do some revolution sitting in the chair bullshit this whole movie. It's just like, they're there. Look, there they are. There's those guys you know. Are they going to do anything interesting? Probably not. So how about we have this character who's also a conduit for the much more interesting thing to me, which is that programs are trying to get out of the Matrix and can have a corporeal form, which I love that element of it. I love how this movie sprinkles in ideas of like, oh, this is what the stuff from the sequels actually meant and that it actually did mean something that Neo did all this stuff because it's like, oh, machines and humans work together and all this other stuff. It's a great movie, I think, to criticize a lot of those issues with like a legacy sequel, but also bring up certain points where it's like, oh, hey, this is a great development for the world or a great place to see this particular character in in a different context. I think they combine a lot of that stuff starting with Morpheus onward, and it really works for me. Adam, what do you think of that element, the Morpheus? Well, I mean, you know, I, I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, legit, I mean, I get where Rafe's coming from. Because, I mean, the thing is, the Lawrence Hirschman portrayal of Morpheus is so fucking iconic. Right. And even on a visual level, you're seeing someone who's, you know, is a similar build, same colors, same clothes, stuff like that, playing that character. I could see where it'd be kind of like, this just doesn't feel right. But I think that's the point. It's not supposed to. It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be something you don't necessarily connect with right away. But and it becomes its own new version of a character. Uh, it, it, I I thought it was great. I had no problem with it. I, I liked it a lot. I liked the the new version of Smith quite a bit as well. I, I just yeah, I I thought it was fucking great. I, I love that actor. I, you know, Rafe, you know, buddy, 
just chill out. Here, right? here yeah, it comes. Like, here it comes. <laughs> in Rafe's defense, like this movie is very divisive. The, the critical reception. Oh no, hundred percent. Very much just like hey, love it or hate it kind of thing. I get to, it. To be fair, I, I I watched it the same night my brother watched it, and he loved it. Which is odd because my brother did not like the sequels either, just much like me. And I watched it with my uh, ex-wife the very next day, and she did like the sequels and she hated it. I mean, it's so divisive. I, I think the reason I like it so much is, yeah, it's kind of like a soft reboot almost in a weird way. But I just think the idea to take something like The Matrix and go full on batshit crazy meta is so ingenious to me because it is saying I'm not doing the same shit again. So here's this weird, crazy thing. Either go with it or not. And I even just appreciate it for the for the effort and the idea alone. But other than that, it's so well constructed too. And I, I just Rafe, man, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> no, I, I, and and again, it's kind of like uh, before. I, I can't disagree with what you're saying about it. I do. I love the meta aspect of it. Like, I think that's very clever. I think they could have gone even harder into that, but it, it, it isn't the matrix to me. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day, it, it, this isn't that it's a bad movie. I think it's a good movie. It's that uh, it, it really comes down to personal opinion. And this one just didn't jive for me. I get what you're talking about in terms of like, this isn't really traditional yeah. matrix, not even just like the meta con- context of it. I think it is just inherently like a movie made by a person who is looking back at these movies that they made back in their 20s and back before when they were literally a completely differently named person. I think that's another thing right. is that it's it's very much Lana coming back to this and realizing, okay, that person is a part of me much like The Matrix is a part of Neo. And I have to work within that with both, like, Neo as a character who is representing, like, the creative drained element who is going through the constant repetitive cycle of development through all this bullshit. And at the same time, Trinity is on the side here being outcasted in a similar way that I think she was in the sequels and the movies kind of acknowledging that. That we kind of lost yeah. sight of Trinity as a character who's being held back. Especially, I love the fact that her husband is played by Chad Stahelski who was of the John Wick movies, directed those, but also was Keanu's stunt double on the Matrix movies. Right. So that's an inherent thing. I'm like, oh, she's with the guy who did all the cool action stunts. And this Keanu's <laughs> off to the side, just like, oh, man, I used to be cool, though. <laughs> I got my beard now. <laughs> Isn't that great? Like, I really loved the connection that they shared, where it, it's inherently based on the whole idea of, like, oh, hey, we're so close and tentative because in every simulation, like, the unrequited romance was what kept the power going. I love that element of it and how it is resolved as like, oh, okay, being the one doesn't mean being just Neo. Being the one means that you find a better half, which could be just a relationship connection or could, I think is also trading in on like, there's a lot of talk about binary, non-binary, and obviously I'm not the best person to state all this because I'm cisgender male. Right. That's something I was going to say is that, you know, smarter and wiser and more qualified people than me are going to write about this movie and how Lana's transformation from the matrix to this and the, the power of the one and Trinity, uh, uh, Trinity's empowerment in this movie is very much a queer, uh, transition type thing. I'm not qualified to write on it. I look forward to reading it when those people write it. Right. Yes. I, I completely agree with that, that we're not the most qualified people to obviously 
talk about this. There are much smarter people who have written on this, much more experienced people who I'll probably link to in the description, like at least a couple of the ones I've read that kind of opened me up to this, especially with how much the movie talks about like binaries being broken completely uh, or, you know, the just the fact that the one represents what could be like a relationship in this literal case uh, with Trinity and Neo. I'll find like a better half that can help you with that or the more gender identity kind of theory of just like, well, it's actually just two parts of yourself that really kind of come together into accepting both sides of yourself. Like I said, maybe I'm not the most experienced person to say this, but I, I kind of picked up on some of those things after, once again, reading some really good stuff that I'll probably link in the description. And I think it's beautiful that the movie sort of ends on the two of them reuniting in a way that's kind of similar to the original movie, but is also just like, well, now we're going to kind of correct things that, you know, that time between when the first movie came out and now things have been so fucked up. I feel like it's a beautiful sentiment that feels like it, I don't think it needs to do any more sequels. This feels like such an anti-sequel <laughs> that it's just like, nah, fuck it, end it here. This is a perfect bookend for this fucking series. It rules. Agreed. Now, if this wasn't enough of a Matrix sequel for some people, which is, as I said, not a Matrix movie to me, you do have to admit it's a hell of a Dr. Horrible sing-along blog sequel with Neil Patrick. Patrick Harris just chewing up the scenes. Right, yes, and this holds up and is a lot funnier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his his performance in this uh, is is spectacular. I loved, I was very nervous about when I first heard he was cast. I was like, Neil Patrick Harris in a Matrix movie, really? But I loved him in this. Yes, as a different version Do- of the architect. I thought he did such a great Yeah, Doogie Howser turned into a fucking jerk. <laughs> um. <laughs> Have you not seen Harold and Kumar? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I, I completely agree with pretty much everything you said, Thomas. One of my biggest worries before going into this was that it was just going to be a really sort of cliche love story to where, you know, they find each other again through this and then realize who they are. And it is that in a way, but it, it's just so expertly handled to where it's literally like the yin and the yang. I'm still kind of blown away by this movie. Honestly, I've seen it twice. I can see myself easily watching it again. Like it just went to places. I, I, really really did not expect even based on the trailers like i said the meta aspect of it is so ingenious to me that that's how we're gonna go then fine fuck it you want me to make it i'm gonna make it my way and like you said basically say fuck you to you know the people who are basically gonna steal her idea and potentially destroy their sort of baby without their consent if they if they didn't give it i mean it's just it's such a cool way to say no, this is mine. I'm taking it. And now I'm really going to do what I want with it. And that you're going to have to deal with it. And I, the casting, these visuals, the pretty much everything is so on point for me. I mean, like we mentioned, yeah, yeah we mentioned uh, Neil Patrick Harris, but man, fucking Henwick in this too. I, I just love Jessica Henwick in this movie. Yep. I love sort of following her to try to find Neo and, you know, just the idea of how she figured out what the matrix was just by seeing him. And it just awoken something in her and she looks fucking great. She looks cool as hell. The costume design, the clothing design and everything in this movie works perfectly. But again, first of all, Jada Pinkett Smith, the old age makeup. Oh God. But why was the other person in old age makeup too? Like the doctor or who was growing the strawberries. I mean, I think that's more of a consistent thing because that would look so much weirder if an actual old lady was next to Jada in old age makeup. That that would break it so much. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is true. I didn't think of it that way. But yeah, that's that's really a good point. I have no problem with them bringing back certain characters like even an IOB or things like that. 
I just feel there would have been more interesting characters that they could have brought back other than... Right, like the kid. You would have loved if they brought up the kid and he was like an old man. Was, I'm no longer the kid. I'm the middle-aged yeah, man. That, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have used not seeing the Merovingian again. Like, I didn't understand the, really the purpose of including that other than just a, hey, remember this guy type moment. I mean, it didn't feel like it fit. I will immediately break that because the Merovingian in that scene works so perfectly as a comment on the online people who completely destroyed the idea of the red pill element of this because he's an asshole who's slobbering about just like things were better back in my day media should be overexamined and you should be i need to get like a wikipedia piss shit bullshit like he's just he's the online troll personified you know what thomas i rescind my complaint fuck you yeah (laughs) just bring up anything what else did you have a problem with we'll bring it You know what I could have used, though? I, I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but and it is something sort of fanny, but I kind of wanted the ghost twins to show up. At As one of, that makes because like they have other henchmen that show Where up there from the previous movies. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted to see those guys because those guys were a huge part of the marketing and I argue one of the best parts of the second one. I just prefer the idea like the one that we get back is the Merovingian in such a transformed way where now he's like a fucking French caveman dude. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> we used to have conversation, and now you just did, 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 text, text. You're like, yeah, this fucking guy is so pissed off. <laughs> Fuck you on your franchise spinoff. <laughs> he, he was about one step removed from John Cleese there, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really was. He was great, though. I, I really liked seeing him come back because uh, I was not a huge fan of his character in the originals. But the way they did it with this, I was like, oh, I love this guy. I could use a lot more of this fucking asshole. All right. So so here's here's my other complaint, Thomas, and I'm, I'm ready for your defense against it. Ooh, but you, you brought up the, the whole Morpheus as an amalgamation of both Morpheus and Smith. And that, that makes sense to me. But then we also have Smith played by Jonathan Groff, which I did not recognize him in any of the teasers and trailers for this. I For some odd reason, I just didn't make that connection. But and I'm and I love like I love Jonathan Groff. He's he's a fantastic actor, and I thought he was he was good in this. But like, there's a story moment in here that I just didn't get. He comes in and fucking saves the day for no reason whatsoever, and then he has his you know you may be the the one, but I can be anyone, and he transforms, and it's like then it's like there's this meaningful segue to the next scene, and I'm sitting here going, did I fucking miss a scene or something? I don't understand what's going on. In their confrontation before the Merovingian shows up, they have like a back and forth conversation where he mentions, "I am good with you staying out of the Matrix. I just want to get the analyst." That's his crucial thing in motivation. He wants us to yeah. destroy Neil Patrick Harris. Now, and right. let, let me t- right. let me take a little stab at this. <laughs> so, the Morpheus Smith combo is something Neil created. Smith can't exist without Neo. Neo can't exist without Smith. There's even that throwaway line: right. "There's no dark without light. There's no Neo without Smith." So, Smith was just so deeply buried in the Matrix in this new version that he forgot who he was until Neo started to reawaken. Therefore, stoned Smith. Uh, Morpheus Smith is of Neo's creation. This is the same Smith we've always known. Right, and it, right. and it works even better to have like this guy who clearly was older than Keanu in the older movies. Now, because of the way his programming is translated, where Keanu looks like an old man to him, it's I think it digs even deeper. The idea like he's under such surveillance that it's like, oh yeah, we have a new Smith for you, but he's some young dude who's just like, hey pops, you want to make a Matrix trilogy? <laughs> Let's do it, baby! And he, <laughs> they went ahead and went full bore. With that, and I think that works even as it goes along, where Smith in this is not like the same Smith that we even knew from the earlier movies. I think because this is such like a copy of a copy of a copy, in the same way that even Neo and Trinity 
aren't the same because they've been cloned so many times. This particular smith is a guy who's just like, look, man, um, I, we are apparently tethered together this way. And it's almost kind of like, it's kind of hot, isn't it? But actually, I don't know if we're going to actually make this work, dude. So uh, how about you just help me out and we'll kill Neil Patrick Harris. And then I can, like, fuck off and you can fuck off from the Matrix or whatever. <laughs> that's all that matters to me at this point. I think that's an interesting different subversion because we could have just had Hugo Weaving be like, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> that, but, I that was, but that was one of the things, the Mr. Anderson versus Tom. Hey, Tom. Yes. <laughs> Well, because when he first when he first reawakens to Smith, of course, he does Mr. Anderson. That's like the fucking biggest line. And then he sort of becomes the new version of Smith, where now it's Tom. Right. Right. Now, no. now he's his casual. Now he's his casual friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they have tea on Tuesdays. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And shout out to all of the people who they cast around, like Croft and Reeves, for like the douchebags who work at that place. That yeah. video game design yes. and that whole montage shit to the White Rabbit song is so good. Yeah, I wanted to punch that Jude guy in the throat so bad. <laughs> it's, he he is the, to me that is the one out of all of them that I really just kind of could not stand that character. It's just like could we get a Jonah Hill but with less talent <laughs> <laughs> and a much deeper gravelly voice for some reason that looks like it should not come out of him. <laughs> yes, yes. So does that answer your question? <laughs> I don't know. I think I've lost what the question was, which is appropriate for a discussion of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. So then, Ray, where do you think, like, because you said you like the meta contextual element of it, but you think it still doesn't feel like a Matrix movie. Do you think that can even exist within a more traditional Matrix movie you're referring to, to have this more meta contextual idea? Uh, yes, I think so. But it needs to have more philosophy to it than calling the place um, Simulate, the coffee shop that they went to. Um which I caught. I was like, oh, clever. Now, if only the uh, the ph philosophy was in here somewhere as well. I just, I, I, I want depth from my Matrix movies. And, the, and admittedly, the meta contextuality gives it some depth, but it's just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't it for me. I mean, and again, I, I you know, it, it is a good movie. I can't, as as just a film, I, you guys bring up great points. I don't disagree with anything either of you have said. Uh, I just, it just, this wasn't for me. Well, so I'm curious with, when when you said this oftentimes, even on your regular show, about like it not being for you, how much of that is just the full expectation just kind of blocking you from accepting what the movie is or not, you know, where it's just like, oh, it's not exactly what I wanted, and therefore it's just not a movie I personally can engage with? Or what What exactly do you mean with just like, it's not for me by that? I don't like to second guess um, artists' attempts at things like this. Like I know there's even subreddits called, you know, fixing films and that kind of stuff. And like, yeah, there, there could be a Matrix sequel. Uh, and I was thinking about this. There could be a Matrix sequel where they followed Bugs and her crew, and it was a lot more about that, and then they discover Neo towards the end of the film, and oh no, what I just did was uh, created The Force Awakens, just in The Matrix instead of in Star Wars. Um, I, I, I think this is the story that, that Lana wanted to tell, and I respect that. I just to me it's to me it's a good action film. It just it just is lacking something as I said, you know, for me it's philosophy and kung fu and those elements are lacking in this and therefore I don't feel like it is a matrix movie. I I don't think they needed another chapter to the matrix. It ultimately is what it comes down to. 
Um, I, I, and, and yeah, you go to the whole meta textual thing where they basically, they would have done it with or without her. That doesn't mean it would have been good. It doesn't mean it would have been a good idea. So I think for, as far as my tastes go, the best thing they could have done is just left it alone. Right. Though I think that's the thing is the movie is very conscious of the idea of like, nothing will ever be left alone. Nothing that you and that's very true. will ever have any kind of like, oh, we're going to stop doing that. No, it's it's totally fine. We're we're going to have some kind of regurgitated spinoff, reboot, whatever. I think what the movie does so incredibly is just like, hey, we get we shouldn't have done this, and there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't have done it. There's also a few reasons why, but ultimately the big thing is just like that kind of feeling of nostalgia is palpable. It's a movie that doesn't deny that, which I like, because it could have easily just said, oh, all nostalgia is complete bullshit. It's not necessarily that. It's that a lazy recreation is the problem as opposed to finding the heart of what made like Neo and Trinity work so well. And I think the coffee conversations do such a great job of that and show that Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves, while looking so great for their ages, are also people who have gone through a lot and you can tell. They have like emotional scars, battle scars, and you can see right in front of them. Oh, especially when they are in the real world and we have their, their shaved head, no beard, and, you know, that kind of appearance. The two of them? Are definitely show signs of their age, but but you're exactly what you're saying. Those those, you know, battle scars of of love and loss and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I think that that's that's very much there. And I think that's what makes it so like beautiful. That it's it's more just about like you know we're coming back to this, and it's more a question of like who we were as people. Not even just like Lana or Neo and Trinity, but even Keanu and Carrie and Moss. It's very much yeah. a movie made contextually about the fact that Keanu had a massive career before and after The Matrix, and Carrie didn't, and it's a bummer. And it's a movie that fully acknowledges it's a real bummer she didn't become a huger, more massive star after The Matrix. She should have had her own, like, John Wick franchise or whatever, which makes it so fucking satisfying when it's like, Tiffany, come on, I hate that fucking name. Stop calling yeah. me that fucking name. And she goes fucking wild. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Two of my favorite things that we haven't pointed out of the movie. One is Bot Bombs. Yes. When they start diving out the fucking windows like missiles, that was incredible. Oh. It was like a damn horror movie. You know, M. Night Shyamalan was sitting in the audience going, I did the same thing with The Happening. Right. But <laughs> this is way better. Uh, <laughs> and two, best line of the movie, hands down for me. Hey, you try to ball my mom, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that little punk ass weeder kid. Like what a great so fun. I laughed so hard. Like, man, this kid is like not holding back. But um no, I and that's the thing about the third act. When they're in the, trying to escape and you know they're running after him and everything, it's like out of twenty eight days later mm-hmm. or something. It's terrifying. Like it becomes sci fi horror at that point. And I just thought it was so well done and just really, really cool. And I love the whole coffee shop confrontation with Neil Patrick Harris and Keanu, and then ultimately Carrie Ann Moss as well. Uh, the whole way it's done, where all the other captains walk in. So basically, Neil was saying, like, you know, if you don't keep your promise, we're gonna fuck you guys up. And it's really, really cool, man. I, I you know, and again, to speak on the whole trinity of it. How fucking great is it that she's the one that flies first? Amazing. Oh, sure. And that's, and that's what I was saying about the, the whole transformation thing. That's, that there's, a, so there's an essay you written in there. Yeah. It's just great. And then she, finds, she does kick his jaw off and <laughs> yes. she splits his throat and all this. I mean, she is, you know, we all know how badass Neo is. We get it. We know. We've seen the movies. And we know Trinity is a badass too, but she's on a whole nother level in this movie. 
And she is undoubtedly the one of the toughest motherfuckers to exist in this universe, in this movie. And I, I just think it's great. And finally, by the way, also, way to give a little bit of explanation to the father-daughter combo from the train station. Oh, yes, with Sati like, returning. A little yes. bit more yes. of who they are. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Because when I watched the original, I'm like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> Why is this a thing? Now I'm like, oh, I totally get it. Oh, right, that's so smart. Which, it, it works on two <laughs> levels where it's like it does explain a bit more about like their backstory and what happened there, but at the same time, it also works in context of like a, oh fuck, a legacy sequel needs like legacy characters. Who do we get? Let's get Sati. Of course, let's get Sati. Yeah, that exactly makes sense. Like I yeah, think yeah. I think it's a movie that is commenting on a lot of that. With, like Bugs feels like a surrogate for like the Ray style like main female lead character in uh, from the Star Wars movies. Um, in the same way that like Morpheus kind of has that with like being an amalgamation of two previous characters that existed. It's a movie that is so playing to like the legacy sequel handbook of just like similar scenarios, these specific characters that kind of match familiar archetypes, but are all like non confrontational to anybody. Like I think they do such a great job of laying out all those different things that have become monotonous after a certain point in blockbuster cinema to the point where I'm just like, fuck doing any more legacy sequels. Don't ever do it again. This movie completely points out how formulaic and stupid that concept is. This is an apocalyptic blockbuster to me. In a time where things just look like like we're just regurgitating and endlessly feeding on the same corpses. We're pretty much in a matrix. The movie's talking about the fact that us being in the feed of like, oh, we are going to watch a new Matrix movie, watching a traditional Matrix Lega sequel is just literally feeding on the corpses of others in the same way of the actual Matrix. I think that's what makes it work so much. It is a Matrix movie on a 4D chess level. <laughs> yeah, it's a Matrix movie <laughs> where your love of the Matrix is the Matrix. That's the problem, that we can't progress beyond what we did before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And plus, I mean, you know, sidebar, how the fuck is Priyanka Chopra married to a Jonas brother? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the real biting question here, isn't it? 100%. I want to go down that rabbit hole and figure that story out. (laughs) What happened there? But no, yeah, she's great. And I love the idea of you know, the sentience sort of taking over these robot bodies in the real world. And, you know, you got her as the giant, almost like moth eagle creature. And I love the look of, you know, how Morpheus looks with the like, sort of gravity induced metal bits and all that stuff. Really fucking cool. Really good design work kind of all around. But if you can't do old age makeup, right. <laughs> and I'm being dead. I'm why? glad you keep coming back to this point. But it's, <laughs> But it's true though, because it almost takes you. It almost took me out. Almost that that reason alone, and that fucking Jude guy, is the reason why this isn't a five out of five for me. Because I was so distracted by the the makeup, where I'm like, I just don't. Why? Why do this? I mean, you know, I was an adult who was just like, oh, it's not the greatest old age makeup. But let's look at what the movie's actually trying to tell me with this character in old age makeup. And I was. In- Really enthralled, honestly, by all the stuff that you're thinking. You're not an adult. You're not an adult. Well, that's true. We're both children here. That's a good point. Rafe is the supervising adult who's here. Don't put that on me. (laughs) (laughs) Rafe's the grouchy grandpa. Better set on the plastic. Like, I like a lot of the stuff that the Jada Pinkett Smith stuff is, like, actually saying about, like, it's interesting seeing, like, her look back at Keanu this way, which is like, you haven't aged nearly as much as I have, and it's interesting seeing a, fa- a new, a familiar face, 
but at the same time, it's not really helping us either. Like, here's our history that has gone since you left the Matrix. And I like a lot of what she's saying here about, like, oh, here we've uh, managed to collaborate with programs who are in our world. We can grow strawberries now. What you did mattered, and we do have peace here. But at the same time, it's at the cost of any new lives being saved out of the Matrix, because we're just staying out of there completely. I like the idea that, like, the peace that we had from the third movie is still a peace that has an inherent corruption to it. And even, like, they have the whole thing with Morpheus's actual wrap-up as an arc, where it's just like, oh, he was, like, on the council and everybody loved him, but he also was firm about what you did cannot be undone. Nothing can possibly do that. So his own religious idolatry ended up also harming people at the same time. I like that idea a lot. Let me be a little bit more clear here. I like her whole I character arc, and I like that you know she's so like against new things happening because they do have a piece that she was alive and fought for, you know, the whole time and things like that. I, I'm really into that idea and the the conflict that it could potentially cause and sort of her stance on it all. I am, like I said, and I know it sounds simple and it's really face value. I just don't understand the uh, the choice with the makeup. I really don't, and I know that's silly, but Everything else in this movie looks fucking stellar. You tell me you couldn't like did, nobody saw that. It was like we maybe we should do another pass. Well, I'm I'm curious, Adam, just to go back to a point Rafe made a bit earlier yeah. about um he feels that this isn't a Matrix movie because of all this stuff that doesn't really appeal to him in terms of like what a Matrix movie can be. Does this appeal to you on that level? Does this feel like a true Matrix film despite it being so wacky and meta and all this other stuff? A hundred percent. Like, how else would you continue the Matrix, man? You got to go into the idea of, you know, going meta and just that it shouldn't exist. Like, why are we doing this? And they really do that really well. And it also really does sort of play into modern day, you know, internet culture and sort of the way technology is used now and the and the trolls and the you know, Reddit system of it all. I think this is absolutely a Matrix movie, but I also absolutely think this should be the last matrix movie it's the matrix movie i never thought i wanted or that we needed but i'm glad it exists and i i I really hope this is it right i mean i generally agree with that but i also i want to comment specifically before we start maybe wrapping up here we mentioned neil patrick harris um, who is a new version of the architect? And what I love about him being the analyst is when he was first introduced, I was a bit worried about like, oh, he could either be the new Oracle, which I remember Rafe predicted at a certain point. That's what I thought. Or I did right. Or in this case, he's actually the new architect, and it's being presented as a villain that he is a psychotherapist. But I like the fact that the psychotherapy he gives to Neo is inherently just trying to keep him in one specific place. It's actually very bad therapy, especially about the whole idea of like, all of this trauma that happened to you is just hallucinations. It isn't real. You're totally fine. As opposed to, no, you deal with that trauma. You actually deal with it as opposed to completely escaping from it. You have to find some kind of medium to actually progress forward as opposed to, nah, just nothing. Forget it. Look at my cat. Deja uh, vu. (laughs) I think think it's a very good sort of comment on the way that some people view, uh, you know, psychotherapy or psychology where he's just in, drugging in, him. In, including me <laughs> he's, well he's just drugging him right he's keeping him sedated basically uh so he'll just kind of fit into the mold and fit into the system and unfortunately that's what happens to a lot of people who have real problems and i, I think it's a very good sort of uh allegory when it comes to that but also i just love the use of the color blue when it comes to the analyst 
He's got the blue rimmed glasses. And he's wearing blue shades of blue constantly. The paintings in his office are blue. His chair he sits in is blue. Like it's so fucking cool. But yeah, I, I thought Neil Patrick Harris was great. I, I was very worried too, much like Rafe. I was like, Neil Patrick Harris in a Matrix movie? Uh, I mean, is he going to do magic? What the fuck is happening here? But um, <laughs> yeah, he's great. Well, because I only know him as you know a bit you know, either bit actor in movies or a sitcom actor. So I was very sort of like, I mean, it's late in this game for him, but man, he fucking knocked it out of the park. Knocked it straight out of the park. I'd say it's him and Henwick that's their movie. A lot of shades of his Starship Troopers performance, where he slowly becomes yes. a Nazi in the background of that movie, <laughs> which is so great. And here I think it works too, because like the analyst is also inherently like a studio executive guy. It was just like, look, mm-hmm. the bosses are like, hey, we need to keep you two together, unrequited romance. It's almost like, say, a How I Met Your Mother scenario, but that'd be silly. Who would ever fall for that? But um, I, I, I like the idea that he is constantly just keeping them at this tethering point, and he's also just inherently like, look, I am Neil Patrick Harris, the face of just like, put me on anything. He's a guy who has totally like taken every check. God bless him. Take those checks, Neil. <laughs> do it. It's just like, I'll host a family game yeah, show. Yeah. I'll do the Oscars. I'll do some magic award bullshit or something. Who knows? I could pop up anywhere. And I like the idea of casting him as that guy. It's just like, no, I'm comfort. I'm comfort food. It's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Nothing is off center here. <laughs> I think he works perfectly as that kind of face. Um, but, you know, we've been talking quite a while about the Matrix Resurrections. So let's get some final thoughts in here. Um, Rafe, your final thoughts. And also, we do a rating out of five for these movies. I don't know if you've listened to any of these at all. <laughs> so, hey, I pay my dollar a month. I listen. Yeah, like all of you. He's a good man. <laughs> uh, but please, your, your final thoughts in rating for The Matrix Resurrection. Um, again, I can't. I mean, really, nothing you guys have said is I, I disagree with. Like, that's I, it's just my my reception of it is just not a positive one. I, I think. Uh, I, I, I completely agree with Adam, what Adam said about uh, Jessica Henwick. Uh, she, she is phenomenal in this, and I would love to have seen more of her in the story. I wish they had made it her story kind of uncovering the Matrix or something like that. But, you know, hey, that's not what we got. And as I said, that'd be a little too more, much Force Awakens. So, you know, mileage may vary. I, I didn't like it that much. I'm disappointed by it, but... It, unlike so many other voices on the internet, I'm not sitting here going, this ruined the Matrix trilogy for me. I still have three good movies that I can focus on and just pretend this one doesn't exist. But it's it's not a bad movie. It has good visuals. It has good action beats. It just wasn't for me. So I'm going to go with like two and a half, but as a film itself, it's probably more like three and a half, four. Yes, and uh, look forward to it. Rafe will have his four-hour Why the Matrix Resurrection Sucks So Bad YouTube video. <laughs> His full-on diatribe. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, Adam, please, your final thoughts and rating for The Matrix Resurrections. Like I said, I was completely surprised how much I liked it. I expected it to really kind of suck, being not a fan of the original two sequels. Uh, I, I, I went in completely uh, sort of negative on it and it came out extremely positive and that's why i watched it again like so quickly after because i'm like all right let's see if sort of that was just a gut reaction let's see if i really do like this and i came away liking it even more um i my original score on it was a four out of five I, I, i'm gonna go ahead and up that a little bit to four and a half out of five i i think this is the exact way to do sort of a continuation of an old story that 
you know, it's maybe been done to death already. Uh, it, it breathed new life into it, but also put a very perfect sort of button on the end. Yeah. Um, anyone who listens to this show regularly would know uh, that previously when we did the No Way Home discussion, um, I was with Ryan Quarterman, shout out. Um, I was not a huge fan and I was kind of in a desperate state of like, oh, is this what blockbusters are going to be? From now on, it's just kind of regurgitating old shit that I've seen before. And what I like is that The Matrix Resurrections is both a warm hug about accepting that fact, and then a kick in the balls of like, well, guess what? We can also do this. And I'm so happy that I was both hugged and kicked in the balls for that. Such a great example of like a blockbuster that can make me like excited again about the potential of dangerous weird shit we could do like and it'll never happen again i highly doubt based on like the box office returns currently for this movie like or anything else i this could be the absolute last blockbuster with much of anything interesting to say that isn't just kind of regurgitating what we got before and i love it for that even with like i have some issues that i didn't go into as much particularly with I emphasize the action sequence issue because I like, as we mentioned, like all the stuff in the coffee shop. And I think the earlier scene with bugs being introduced and jumping around, literally jumping into holes, like she's fucking bugs, Bunny and shit. Mm -hmm. So good. But then in the middle, like I do agree that the action gets a lot more monotonous in a way that's very intentional, but it's also not nearly as interesting to watch at the same time. Uh, But regardless, everything around it is so great. I'm going four out of five and I have seen this already twice. I could easily see myself watching it more times. Uh, But yeah, so the gamut of Matrix Resurrections opinions from no to actually, yeah, that kind of fucks. (laughs) So so, uh, that is our discussion. Thank you, patrons, uh, for contributing your dollar, especially now. We're recording this a year to the day since we released the original sort of version of this with uh, the Wonder Woman 84 and Soul thing of it so this show to some degree is about a year old and we're very happy you all stuck around uh like rafe to listen to all of our shenanigans as we cover these modern movies we hope you have a happy and safe new year and i guess we can tease adam tentatively the next one we're gonna do is scream which should be five cream as I would title it. Yeah, uh, but, me too. <laughs> but um, that's tentatively, at least, if that doesn't get delayed, who knows at this point. But as of now, that's supposed to come out on the 15th, so uh, we'll be watching that in January. Uh, but until then, everybody, um, I think I heard a shot! Don't ball my mom, bros. <laughs>